0: Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE.
1: Time now for the BK and Ferrario podcast. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Fastball at 99, and it was up. And he strikes out Pujols for the first out of the second inning. I'm Snellzilla, and you're out. Four strikeouts for Blake Snell. Swing and a miss. Back-to-back strikeouts, in fact, three in a row for Blake Snell. Two down.
2: The young struck him out. 13 strikeouts for Blake Snell. Man, now we're giving other pitchers nicknames in ball games. now. Not only does it sting enough that you're getting shut out in games, now Blake Snell's getting nicknames on the mound when he pitches against the Cardinals. I'm Alex Ferrario alongside Brooke Grimsley, who is sitting in for Brandon Kyley today, and Tanner Hendrickson back in our 101 ESPN studios. This is BK and Ferrario, and we are live here at our ENB Granite studios at Centene Community Ice Center for the opening of Blues training camp the season is officially here we are here today we're here tomorrow hoping to have some special guests along the way but if anything we're excited to talk some hockey but we'll get to that 11 15 brook because we have to start with what took place last night the cardinals were shut out once again had a total of two hits in this game as you just heard on that return they uh, basically made blake snell look like a god on the mound with 13 strikeouts through seven innings of work And while we're watching this game last night, I found myself asking, is this more because the offense is struggling and it's been struggling, or does this game just stink because Blake Snell was on it? I mean, Blake Snell might've pitched the best game of his life last night against the Cardinals.
3: Well, exactly. I mean, you mentioned there a season high 13 batters that he struck out last night. I mean, he definitely had the Cardinals number. Now back to your question. I hope that this is just a hitting slump. And I'll say that because if it is about pitching, then that's concerning going into the postseason, right? Because it doesn't get any easier once you head into the postseason. And you're going to face quality pitchers like Snell, Snellzilla. He was full (laughs) Snellzilla Ah! last night. You're going to face quality pitchers like that. And I hope this is just a weird funk that the Cardinals are in. I, I would say that the numbers would definitely say that. I mean, what is it now? It's 43 innings. Without an RBI yeah. for the Cardinals. But I mean, who's counting, right? Yeah, no, no, not no. concerned whatsoever. Even Oli Marmol saying afterwards last night, zero concern. That's the issue, Ollie. Zero.
2: <laughs> the zero is the concern. And also the fact that it's not just the earned runs that you're not producing. You're not putting guys at second base at this time, right now. I mean, last night, the first time you were able to put somebody past first base was the seventh inning when Juan Yapez was able to get the single after Albert Pujols get the single. But 13 strikeouts, you had 29 swing and misses for Blake Snell. And on top of that, to Brooks Point, with the 43 innings without scoring, scoring an earned run, the offense in their last four games now is a 102 batting average and 186 on base percentage, a 114 slug percentage, 299 OPS. And with runners in scoring position, they're batting 077. Ali Marmol, please tell us what has gone wrong with this Cardinals offense and in that Cardinals loss.
4: Uh, We faced a really good pitcher, and uh, we didn't produce any runs. Guy threw well, upper 90s, had a good slider going, and uh,
2: our bats were quiet. So there it is. It's just Blake Snell.
3: The bats were quiet. The
2: bats were quiet. It's just Blake Snell. I would say
3: so. I mean, here's the thing Albert Pujols luckily seems to be the only Cardinal that is finding a way to break through. He was able to break up Snell's no no bid in the seventh and so you got to say and you got to think there's got to be something going on here specifically and we hear it all the time sometimes I think we overcomplicate things when we look at analytics and all that stuff sometimes you just have to simplify the game is it simply the fact that hitting is contagious and it's not happening right now in the case of last night you see Albert Pujols finally breaking that no-no bid and then afterward, after that Juan Yepes is also able to break through so you would think that that is it just needs to be somebody breaking through it needs to be contagious I think the most shocking part to me and I hope that this turns things around soon is that Paul Goldschmidt and Nolan Arnato also not able to oh. break through this
5: yeah. yeah, I was going to say, they're, they're definitely in need of getting Goldie of going because those guys are the heart and soul of that offense. And I've been saying that since they've been going through this skit ever since that Atlanta Braves series. And last night, look, this team has the best OPS in baseball against left-handed pitching. We've seen them destroy good left-handers this season. We saw them take Carlos Rodon for like seven earned runs on Sunday night baseball in primetime earlier on in the year. That was just one of those nights where Blake Snell looked like the Cy Young that he's been in the past. So right. uh, as much as you want to look at the offense and the concerns that you have with I totally think it's fair. I, I think it is fair to start sounding the alarm bells with this offense as we are closing in on the final handful of days in September into October baseball but I think last night was just one of those where you look at and you just tip your cap because Blake Snell was so good, and this team's been so good against left-handed pitching all year long that I think when you look at that and you see what the numbers were that Blake Snell put up, I, I don't think that – I think part of the issue was Cardinals' offense struggles, but Snell just looked like the Cy Young that he's been in the past, and I don't think you can take too much away from the offense performance last night because I don't think there was a lineup that was going to touch Blake Snell last night.
2: No, I'm with you. and In all reality, I heard BT talk about this on the fast lane yesterday, and I, I – For the longest time there, it was to the point where the Cardinals really weren't even striking out because they were hitting the ball, but it was getting hit like bloopers to second base or it was getting caught in the outfield. And BT said yesterday, I kind of want to see him just strike out. Now, 13 times? I don't know if I want that, but he's right. I mean, this team thrives on power. And if they're not hitting the ball hard into the outfield or out of the ballpark, they're not going to be scoring runs. So. I actually understand the team going out there and looking at Blake's now saying we crush lefties. This is a really good left handed pitcher, but we feel we have a lineup that can get going right now. So they were just swinging and everything. And maybe that could be a problem for this team, because then you start getting into a slump where it's like I'm swinging and everything. I can't recognize pitches. And then next thing you know, you're striking out 55 percent of the time in a game, which is awful. But I mean, maybe and I'll be the ultimate optimist here, which I never am. T-Bone, you know, this It's true. Maybe this is a at least building block for them to where it's like, hey, they were going out there swinging for power. And hopefully, if they can start making some connection, you can start building off of that.
3: Well, and that's what I'm saying is I hope that this is just a little weird slump. I would rather it happen now, of course, before heading into October. I think everybody feels that way. Right. But then the concern is how long is this going to go? How much longer are we going to go without an RBI? I mean, you would think like the innings, it just would span maybe a couple of games or something like that. But now we're getting into days that we're waiting for an RBI for the Cardinals.
5: I'm hoping they kind of break the record because it would be kind of ideal, you know. I, That's not rec- the
3: record you want to break. Come on, away. Tanner. Know, but it's
5: like record-setting in a record-setting year with Albert chasing <laughs> 700. The Cardinals are chasing a scoreless record. Like, doesn't it just fit perfectly? Oh, okay, uh,
2: you're going optimism with negativity. I yeah, like it.
5: I, I think once they break the record, they'll be fine. I think they're just shooting <laughs> for the record. Uh, I do want to address, though, something, too, uh, from the 618. Shut up, T-Bone, the Card's offense needs a new coach. This is not a Jeff Albert problem. I, I've seen a lot of that. I heard a lot of that today when the opening drive was trying to. Uh, I'll say, fend off the beast while they were calling for <laughs> Jeff Albert's job. This is not a Jeff Albert problem. This offense has been really good for a majority of the year. And we mentioned it yesterday uh, that there was a stretch, I believe it was in May, where you saw kind of the same stuff for the Cardinals, where everybody went cold at about the same time. They weren't hitting the ball hard. They were last in Major League Baseball and doing so in hard-hit percentage, and they're right around there now since, this, uh, skid, since the Atlanta Braves series. It's not a Jeff Albert problem. It's just everybody's gone cold at the the wrong time. And the fact of the matter that the time is kind of winding down to what Brooke was saying, like they're running out of time, running out of leeway to get this offense back up and going. And the reason I say it's not a Jeff Albert problem is I don't know what you want Jeff Albert to do to fix it. Like this is a players
3: problem. I want him in the lineup yeah I
2: want him I want him hitting the ball T-bone
3: I,
5: I I just look at it and say it's not a Jeff Albert problem it's a player problem when I say he, it's a player problem I'm not calling out the players and saying they're not trying or anything I'm just saying they're all in a a funk and they're trying to figure right. it out and trying to figure it out at the plate it's nothing that Jeff Albert could do Jeff Albert can't tell you here's exactly what you need to do to get this offense improved and get back and going it's just on the players to figure out okay what what's gone wrong why am I getting beat what can I get lead to it and some of it is just bad luck too
2: Here's a problem with the Jeff Albert stuff. And, like, people know this if you listen to BK and Ferrario because we've interviewed hitting coaches, whether it's been Eduardo Perez or we even interviewed the uh, the pitching coach, Jim Hickey, and asked him about this. We've interviewed multiple hitting coaches, and I've asked the question because it's the ongoing argument. How impactful are hitting coaches to offenses? And every single person, T-Bone, that we have talked to has said the same thing. They are impactful in terms of trying to help players keep their mind right in a long season. They have absolutely zero impact on an at-bat with a pitcher. And for people that are going to sit here and say, what's the problem? Fire Jeff Albert. Hey, T-Bone. Hey, Brooke. What was the team's OPS in the month of August? Really good. It was really good. 864 first place in... Major League Baseball. Hey, Brooke and Tanner, what was the team slugging percentage in fi-
5: in uh the month of August? Uh, they were slug baby slugging. It had to be pretty good. 503
2: first place. Hey, Brooke and Tanner, what was on-base percentage in the month of August? We know the answer to this game. First place 361. If Jeff Alberts the problem, explain the month of August to me.
5: They weren't listening to Jeff had to
2: be oh, him. Okay. Yeah, that's what I thought. That's what I thought there.
3: Well, I, I was saying this yesterday. So my coworkers is we're going through the annual fire Jeff Albert phase, right? <laughs> you know, yep. this happen, This happens every year. We we touch on it every single year is fire Jeff Albert. Now, here's the thing is, too, if you even look at Albert Pujols, we see those shots that Valley Sports Midwest gets. He's not going over to talk to Jeff Albert. Right. What is he doing?
2: Sitting in front of his tablet or he's talking to Albert Pools, He's talking to his players. Playing
3: Angry Birds. Exactly. Playing Playing Angry Angry Birds.
2: Birds Well you know that's what we do
3: I think he's more there for, one, what I see visually when I'm out there, at least when they're in Busch Stadium, is he films the guys so that they can help see what their swing is looking like, especially in BP. I think, as you mentioned there, he's more as kind of a mental support, just kind of helping remind them of, you know, what they had working for them and getting back to that point. Because as we know, sometimes even little minor tweaks start to, you know, come forward and you have to just get back to what works for you.
2: One other thing I wanted to mention from the game that's not Blake Snell striking players out is the decision by Ali Marmol in the seventh inning, which was also very impactful on this game. Uh, Seventh inning, you get Albert Pujols, who gets a single, breaks up the no-hitter, by the way. Juan Yepez gets a single. First and second, two outs, Paul DeYoung coming up to the plate. And Tanner, correct me if I'm wrong, but in that moment, he had struck out twice, uh, had gone 0 for 2 with... The game thus far, and Ali Marmol stuck with Paul DeYoung in that spot against Blake Snell. Here's Ali's reasoning why he stuck with that decision.
6: Oh, you had two back-to-back singles. Did you contemplate going to the bench there uh, with, with Paul up um, after Yepes and uh, Albert had singles?
4: With with who against uh, Snell?
6: Donovan, maybe
3: a long hit bat. I know
2: lefty, lefty, but long hit bat. No. Not really a reasoning there, so I set that up poorly. But here's the thing De Young struck out twice. De Young was going up against Snell once again, and you had options on the bench, whatever it might be, whether it was Lars Nupar, Brennan Donovan, Alec Burleson, Yadi or Molina. I don't think they're going to be pinch hitting Yadi or Ben DeLugio in that spot. But as John Denton brought up, Brendan Donovan, against left-handed pitchers this season, a two eighty one batting average, a four fourteen on on-base percentage, and a seven thirty OPS. Since August, though, it hasn't been that pretty, but it's been prettier than Paul DeYoung. So you can sit here and say, yeah, that was the outcome of this game, but what did you make of that decision, Brooke, by uh, Ali Marmol?
3: Well, I think, first of all, it's fair that John didn't brought up Brendan Donovan because we've seen what Brendan Donovan's been able to do Absolutely. especially in tough situations I mean the way that he's he's just a very blue collar guy is able to go in there, find ways and he's good in that regard I thought this was interesting, Derek Gould put out an article about this, specifically talking about you know DeYoung and Donovan and In the article, he says that Marmol says that he's been reaching a bit for a swing in regard to Donovan. So that might have been a factor into why he didn't put Donovan into that situation. Now, do we all agree with it? (laughs) No, No. but maybe he's seeing something that we're not exactly seeing. Now, here's the thing, though. Paul DeYoung is obviously in a bigger hitting slump than just the Cardinals are in general. Do we want to see him out there at this moment? No, I wish that he would turn things around offensively.
2: Yeah, I mean, that's kind of where I'm at, too. It's like if he could turn things around, you want him there. But in this spot where you got a guy on second base for the first time and you broke up a no-hitter, I think the option was to go elsewhere. But that's the way they went. Just seemed to be one of those nights, though, as we talked about, where Blake Snell just had it in the Cardinals offense. Did not. With Brooke Grimsley, who is sitting in for Brandon Kiley, Tanner Hendrickson back in our studios at 101. I'm Alex Ferrario. We are here at Blues Training Camp coming up in about 15 minutes. Ben Heisler, our weekly hit with our betting guru to get into a little NFL and college football weekend. But coming up next, with Training Camp beginning, Jeremy Rutherford opened up Training Camp with a incredible piece with Jordan Bennington. And it seems he's got a different mindset. How much is that going to affect his play this season? We'll get into that next year on 101 ESPN.
1: We're right back to the BK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobb's Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN.
0: With all the changes that that they made, I I feel like there's a there's a high dependence on on Bennington playing a full year having a full year within you know the, the number one goalie star I realize that you don't have just one guy anymore but playing exceptionally well and that that being tied to how far the Blues can can go
2: that was Anthony Stalter on the Fast Lane yesterday, and alongside Brooke Grimsley and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Alex Ferrario. We are live here at our E&B Granite Studios at the Centine Community Ice Center for day one of Blues Training Camp. They are here today. The first group got underway about 10 a.m. wrapped up practice. The next group gets underway at about 12 um, and they will go until about 1. It's free and open to the public today and tomorrow. So if you want to come out and see some Blues training camp, head on out here and say hi to us here at our E&B Granite Studios. But Jordan Bennington, as you heard Anthony mention, uh, coming into, I guess this is now, this is insane, his fifth training camp with the Blues. Well, sixth training camp with the Blues for the amount of time he spent with the AHL. But fourth training camp as a full-time member of this team. And, Brooke, it's easy to look at it and say, he did not have a good season last year. 37 games played. Uh, I think he won 18 of them. He had 14 losses, four losses in overtime. Uh, and Ville Husso took the job from him. It was a season that you looked at and you said, Jordan Bennington is not himself. And then the playoffs come around. And Bennington steps into the series against Minnesota, steals the show, gets injured against Colorado, probably wins that series in my book if he doesn't get injured but he seems to be back to himself now. And Jeremy Rutherford had an incredible piece on The Athletic, and if you don't subscribe, you need to go do this because JR puts great work out on the Blues, Katie Wu, of course, on the Cardinals, but Bennington's got a different mindset this season, Brooke, and this is something that really stuck out to me. Uh, quote, this is from the article. I had a five-year plan, said Bennington. I had levels I wanted to reach. I wanted to make the NHL. I wanted to win the cup. I made the NHL. I won the cup. I got a contract for two years. My next motivation was the all-star. I was an all-star. My next motivation, I want to earn another contract. I got that next contract. There seemed to be nothing left on that mountain that I accomplished. Then he said, I was playing with so much anger and hate and using that as my motivation, I was out there to prove everyone wrong, and that was my identity. I did it, and then I started to figure I needed to get away from it. If Jordan Binnington, who set records for his first season in the NHL, was so successful from playing angry, he's got to find a different mindset. But if he finds a different mindset, and if he has, which it sounds like he did in this piece with Jr. This could be a massive development for St. Louis this season.
3: Well, uh, the whole article was just spectacular by Jeremy. Jeremy always, I think, the thing with Jeremy's stories is it almost feels like he transports you to where you feel like you're in the room with him. I mean, even his story on Oscar Sundquist was great. I felt like I was, you know, going through all that with him. And I think with Jordan Bennington, my takeaway was he's actually human. Because for a while, especially during that Stanley Cup run. It was like, who is this guy that came out of nowhere who's a superstar? And he basically, you know, had the NHL, either people loved him or hated him. And he really thrived off of that. And I think him being so honest with the fact of like, look, like I accomplished all these things, you know, I kind of lost my edge a little bit. But now I feel like he's gotten that edge back. And you saw that in the postseason too with the Blues because everybody was like, it's Billy Huso's job now. He was the starter going into it. But then. Bennington got that edge back and then look at how much it paid off. He works well to have that edge with people doubting him, having that adversity. And it seems like with him recognizing that in this article, he realizes it's a balancing act. And that's the biggest thing, right? Because if he wants to be the guy, if he wants to be the number one starter for the Blues here moving forward and be and there's 100% confidence in him, then he's got to find a balance with that because it's not always going to be about adversity back against the wall, but it's about balancing and figuring out, okay, how can I still have that edge, still be angry, but still be productive at the same time where I don't need to rely on that?
2: Yeah, and the piece in the article that also got me was Bennington's agent, Mike Liute. Of course, we all know the Blues legend here in St. Louis. Um, he talked a little bit with Jeremy Rutherford also, and Mike Leute told Bennington in the piece that JR wrote was what Bennington went through in his first two, three seasons in the NHL is what goaltenders strive to do their entire lives. Mm -hmm. But what Bennington's going through now is is what normal goaltenders go through in their first couple of years in the league. They go through those struggles to try and figure out, hey, what's my identity? How do I play with an edge? But how do I play with that also in a role that I know is going to fail at times and keep my mind right? And Binnington's going in that the reverse, which I think can be beneficial. And I guess for me, the bigger question is, can Binnington seal what he did in the postseason last year and put that in a full season? Because what he doesn't have this year is Ville Husso behind him. What he doesn't have this year is Jake Allen behind him. We don't know a whole lot about Thomas Grice other than he's been in the league for a very long time. But can Thomas Grice steal the net from Jordan Bennington? I don't believe so. So Bennington's going to have to find that edge himself this season and say, nobody's going to push me this year out of the net. I'm going to have to keep this net myself. And Stalter's right, the audio we played coming back. This season is very dependent on Jordan Bennington. But if you get that Jordan Bennington for a full season, he's going to be a top 10 goaltender in the National Hockey League.
3: Oh, 100%. I mean, that that's the thing going into this, right? Is that Jordan Bennington, I think it's really clear. Is like, we're, we're depending on you. We don't really have many other options other than that. Of course, we'll see Grice during this training camp and also in the first few preseason games, possibly to see what he's more like. But he's more of a journeyman. He's just kind of there to be... Exactly what he is, a backup, not the guy who's supposed to take over the job. Jordan right. Biddington knows that going into the season is he can't lose that starting job again like he did against Billy Huso. And also, don't forget, we also lost Charlie Lindgren, too, as well, <laughs> who was fantastic. Chucky Sideburns. I will miss that. And I don't think Joel Hofer as well is ready for that next right. jump. So it is solely on Jordan Biddington's shoulders. this That's a lot of pressure hopefully he's able to step up to that role.
2: Well, and the other thing about this is you you do have to talk Thomas Grice here. And T-Bone, you and I were talking about this before the show today of – you know, you look at this, and in all reality, you would expect probably about 50 starts from Jordan Biddington, which leaves somewhere between 25 and 30 starts for Thomas Grice. And in that sense, you're looking for 15 to 20 wins from him as a backup. And the reason I bring him up is because Mike McKenna, of course, friend of the show, Daily Faceoff, former NHL goaltender, had a piece out uh, discussing goaltending tandems, and he did his rankings. And I'm not going to get angry with this like I usually do with Dom's articles and rankings on The Athletic, but McKenna put Jordan Bennington and Thomas Grice at 17th. And honestly, I think that's about as fair as you can ask for, because I don't think going into the season they're viewed as a top 10 goaltending tandem. By the end of the season, I think they probably have to be viewed as a top half of the league goaltending tandem if they want to be successful. But I think they're right around this pack right now until people get to find out what Thomas Grice truly is for this team.
3: I hope that Jordan Bennington prints out that article oh, and, yeah. you know and he puts it, puts it in his locker, you know, puts also, it has it like taped up at home on the fridge everywhere as motivation, because maybe he'll use that as part of his edge. Of course, he's specifically talking about the tandem. So they're also accounting for Grice in that situation. But if I was Jordan Bennington, you're looking at that edge back, that's something that I would look at for sure.
5: Yeah, I, I agree with your sentiment there in terms of this tandem needs to be around top 10 if the Blues want to reach their... I, I don't know if goals is the right term or if it's more of just where they were last year.
2: Like, Well, they would need to reach their saves, not goals. If they reach their goals then.
5: That uh, <laughs> oh boy. That Sorry, was buddy. unbelievable. But, Sorry, buddy. but I, I agree. They probably do need to be top 10 tandem if, if you want to see them get to about that point that they were last year. Look, I think they're going to I don't think they're going to get to the same point total that they did last year. I think they've lost a couple pieces that bumped them down a little bit, but I still think they're a top team in the Western Conference, and as much questions as I have about Thomas Grice being the backup again, can he give you that solid 25-30 game range and be that goalkeeper that we're talking about? Can he steal you about 15 wins for this team. I I think I look at it and say, okay, well, I have questions about Thomas Grice. Yes, he's a journeyman goalkeeper, but I've had a lot of questions about the backups in the past, too, and it turns out that Army's usually been right on his journeyman goalkeepers. And how much were we talking last year? It's a different scenario because Huso's a lot younger. But let's not forget, last year there were a lot of question marks about Huso being the backup, and now he's the starter in Detroit. So, maybe I'm not saying Thomas Grice ends up becoming a starter for another team after this season, but if he can just be a serviceable backup, the Blues could easily have one of the top ten tandems in the National hockey league and then you can look at it and if Bennington goes through a midseason struggle then there's no concerns about okay well now what do we do but I, I do think most of it does lie in the hands of Jordan Bennington because he has to be that guy that you can trust he can't go through the same kind of struggles he did last year because I'm not sure you trust Thomas Grice enough to keep to save this team like Ville Husso did if needed.
2: He's Tanner and she's Brooke Grimsley, I'm Alex Ferrario. We are here at Blues Training Camp at Centene Community Ice Center, our E&B Granite Studios. Coming up in 15 minutes, we're going to get to your questions and answers, so if you've got questions for all three of us, shoot them over to our Air Comfort Service text line at 65780. But coming up next, Ben Heisler, our weekly hit with our betting guru of BetSided. We're going to get into it with Ben Heisler next here on 101 ESPN. Inside Brooke Grimsley and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Alex Ferrario. We are out here at Blues Training Camp. Questions and answers coming up in our next segment. So if you've got questions, Blues, Cardinals, or whatever, throw them our way. Air Comfort Service text line at 65780. But now it is Thursday, which means we head out to our Brown and Crouppen celebrity line and welcome in our favorite managing editor for BetSided, Ben Heisler. And Heis, boy, did you miss some events from last week, my man.
6: Good to be on with you guys, as always. Brooke, good to talk to you as well. I know that I I missed uh, a legendary beer mile, apparently. and You know, as as Tanner was filling me in on some of these punishments that you guys have week to week, like, BK is going to have to I don't have you. Is this a secret as to what his punishment's no, going to be for tomorrow?
2: No, no we <laughs> announced it. So, so yeah. So, Brooke, let me. I'll, I, I'll involve you in this because I'm not sure if you've heard this. So, we do our became Ferrario football pick'em each week, where we all have three games that we pick the uh, the the the, the, the uh, betting side on, and whoever loses each week has a punishment. So, Tanner lost in week one, and he had to run a beer mile. Where he chugged a beer every quarter of a mile.
3: Oh my god!
2: And well, Tanner vomited after the end of that beer mile. <laughs> oh, and sucks. now, BK lost week number two, and he is going to get shot twice by a paintball gun. And so if you're Heiss, wondering
6: why why the male species is not
2: evolved <laughs> over time, that is, is very might true. There's a small reason why. A, there's a reason Johnny Knoxville and Jackass was my uh, hero growing up, but uh, heist. This is why <laughs> right here. You're going to get a kick out of this one, heist. And Brooke doesn't know this. This is her first intro to this. So. BK of course is not here. We pick on Fridays. You're filling in for BK, so you are picking BK's football picks this week.
6: Oh God! Wow! So, oh, that's an enormous amount of pressure, and, and I feel like before I go in, I need to know what the week three punishment is going to be because sometimes yeah, I'll go on question. here and I and, right because I, I feel <laughs> like there's some times where you want to might maybe lean into uh, I own money line underdog pick. Uh, Go ahead, roll the dice a little bit. Maybe the value is very good on the board. Other times you want to play it safe. I feel like now if I'm picking for BK, even as his friend and would enjoy some of these punishments that come their way, I don't know if I can do that to him, at least from afar. I have to look at him face-to-face <laughs> if I'm going to go ahead and make a ridiculous pick.
2: So so we decided what we'll do is... Uh, he's going to... So we'll we'll put our... We'll decide on our nine games later on tonight, Tanner, myself, okay. and BK. And then BK is going to send us his picks of which ones he would prefer, like one through nine. And as <laughs> the draft goes, mm-hmm. then Brooke, you'll be the one that can look at his picks and say, okay, we're going to go with this one here.
3: So what's the punishment?
2: So that's the thing. We He gets to announce... the. The third portion of the punishment. There's three picks. One is him standing on, or the loser, standing on Olive and 270 in a costume wearing a 2-2 uh, and a sign that says, I suck at picking football games. The second one is to push a football weight sled the length of a football field with Kerry Davis yelling at him the entire time. Oh my God. And the third one is to be determined when BK returns on Monday. And let me tell you, we got a slew of punishments that still look worse than the two that have already been done. <laughs>
6: Can I, can I propose, since you guys are at St. Louis Blues training camp today, yeah. why not have the loser get a chance to put on the, the goalie pads and then have a bunch of St. Louis Blues players just take shots directly at him in the pads? They could be like Goldberg from the Mighty Ducks.
2: Oh, my God. That is amazing, Heist. Like get tied to the goalposts. Okay, that's, that's going correct. on the list, and we're not even going to approve that with PK <laughs> Heist. But Heist, let's talk some football games here because the one that I think. I'm most curious about is the Cardinals and Rams game later on this week Sunday afternoon. And the reason I'm intrigued by that is because what is it the under has hit like 59% of the time so far in 2 weeks of the NFL. Yeah. Like it, there's no way that game has an under hitting in it. The under's at 48 and a half. There's no way that hits.
6: You know what? I, I would say to that point, yes, the, the under has been hitting at a fairly large clip. And at some point, a lot of these sports books are, are more than likely to adjust to it uh, because the sharps have been all over the unders the last few weeks. And normally what we see in the first couple weeks of the season, uh, you see a lot of unders in week one, then a lot of overs bounce back because defense more often than not is ahead of the offense. As far as that game goes, though, that something to consider is that Kyler Murray has not put up good numbers at home on the road. He's been fantastic. Conversely, you have a Rams team that's always pre- uh, predominantly played well at home, but they've had the number of Arizona, especially in, uh, in Glendale. So I like the Rams in this game, even dealing with some of their injury concerns, even with some of the issues that Matt Stafford has shown. And I think a lot of people are still reacting to nearly blowing that double-digit lead to the Atlanta Falcons uh, in their second straight home game. So the the Rams getting three and a half right now. I think it's largely as a result of watching Kyler Murray work some absolute magic in Las Vegas from a week ago. But uh, seeing this game back in Arizona, knowing Murray struggles at home and knowing that I think Arizona is getting a little bit too lifted by the public here. uh, I I like the Rams in this one. And I I do think the over probably in play. I just don't think it's as sure of a bet as maybe you're leading it on to be.
3: Well, the one I'm most excited about, I think a lot of people are too, is it's a showdown of the AFC East undefeated. You have the Bills and the Dolphins. I don't know where to go with this. Maybe selfishly it's because I have the Bills defense on my fantasy team. What (laughs) what are you feeling about going into that one this weekend?
6: Yeah, it's a fascinating game. I think especially given Buffalo's recent history against Miami, uh, it makes me want to lean towards the side of Buffalo. It's also the highest uh, total on the board. At 52 and a half. Uh, having both Jalen Waddle and Tyreek Hill obviously makes an enormous difference for Miami because both of them went over 160 yards through the air uh, last week against Baltimore. And, and the Ravens didn't adjust their defense against them. I, I don't think it was necessarily a credit to Tua making a ton of plays, which he did, but it was Miami kind of figuring out okay, the Ravens aren't making the necessary changes here. We can use our speed both in the middle of the field and on the outside to make some big plays and get ourselves back in this game. Uh, Buffalo though has dominated Miami over the last several years. In fact, uh, in six of their last seven games against the dolphins, not only have they won, but they've also uh, beaten them by double digits. So they've covered the spread in six of their last seven games as well. I, I think if you're going to lean towards Buffalo, um, this is still the right week to do it. Miami is probably getting a few more points than they should just because of the fact that they're at home. But, They have some defensive liabilities as well. Buffalo's offense right now is humming, especially in the second half. I'm probably leaning on the Buffalo side, but I do think Miami might put up a few points, Brooks. So you might want to look to the waiver wire to see if there's any solid options. There's a lot of low total games on the board, but I also get wanting to play Buffalo. That is as good of a team right now as we're seeing in football.
2: Heiss, it's going to be an exciting weekend of football, man, and it's going to be exciting to watch BK get shot with a paintball gun. So we always appreciate the time, man. Have a great weekend, and we'll talk to you next Thursday.
6: Always a pleasure, guys. Talk to you soon.
2: Thanks, Heiss. Appreciate it. We're going to take a quick break now because Nolachari of the St. Louis Blues, new member of the St. Louis Blues, he's going to be joining myself and Brooke next. So we'll get to that after this break here on 101 ESPN. We're back here on BK and Ferrario live from our e and Granite studios here at Blues training camp day one, if we have officially gotten underway and we are welcomed in studio right now by the newest member of the St. Louis Blues who signed in the off season, Noel Achari. Noel, it is awesome to have you swing by, buddy. Thank you so much. Yeah. Thanks for having me. So first things first, uh, how have you enjoyed the short time so far in St. Louis? We were talking a little off the air. I'm assuming trying to just figure out everything with the St. Louis area, St. Louis Blues and whatnot. Yeah,
7: I've uh, been here for about two weeks. Um, and just like you said, trying to figure out the area, find some, uh, some good restaurants around the area
3: and uh, just kind of get the lay of the land and just your familiarity to obviously you played against the blues in 2019 <laughs> you know tory crew has tory crew kind of helped you adjust to coming into this group and getting to know guys
7: yeah absolutely he's been great and everyone else has been great just kind of reaching out when i signed and and just making sure i feel comfortable and makes the transition so much easier and uh Yeah, I'm just excited for today and for it to actually kick off and get going.
2: Has that been the number one question that you've been asked or talked to about so far, about the trip in uh, the the, the Stanley Cup playoffs?
7: Uh, Yes and no. Can't
2: go back in time, and it is what it is, and now I'm a blue, and I'm just going to kind of move forward. I'm always curious about that, Noel. Like, obviously, hockey is such a small community, right? Like, Everyone's always in touch with each other, but how much does that play into free agency when you're looking at the teams, you're looking at the options that are out there, but you also have some familiarity with players on other teams? Uh, it definitely
7: helps. Uh, just, you know, see, like playing
2: against the Blues in the playoffs and
7: just seeing how hard they play and relentless they are. Um, you know, I, I felt that, for me, that fits my game. And, um, you know, when the opportunity presented itself, I was excited to accept and, uh, you know, join a team that I know well on the ice, but not as well off the ice. But, uh, since coming here, they're awesome guys, awesome group. And I'm just excited for everything.
3: And we'll try not to read too much into it, but of course, everybody always likes to look at the lines. And I know that today was just obviously practicing, but we saw you out there with Clem Kostin and Barbashev. Just kind of describe what that was like for you today
7: yeah it was good just trying to get a feel for it's a little more structured out there now that we're kind of adding the D zone and um, you know just kind of getting the feel for certain players Uh, again I haven't played with them but uh, both really good players and uh, you know if that's a line I'm excited to be with um, those guys because you know they're big boys and they like to hold on to the puck, and you know I like to do the same. So I think it would we'd all mesh well.
2: Do, do players anticipate training camp? I mean, the, for how long the offseason truly is, it gets to the point where it's like, okay, let's just get this thing ramped up. But it's so interesting because once it ramps up. Players go like three games in. It's like, all right, this is stupid. Can we just please start the games now? Yeah, you're,
7: it's like the first day of school. Everyone loves the first day of school. You get to see all your friends, and um, and then after maybe a couple of days in, you're like, oh, I wish it was summer again. But <laughs> our summer is we want we want the games to start. Yeah. We, we want to get into the season. We want to get going. And you know, it's all fun in the beginning, seeing everyone. But at the same time, we're we're ready to play and ready to get into it.
3: What would you say is just gonna be if you had a goal or if you do have a goal going into the season, what what would you like to do? Either improve as a player or what would you like to do to help this blues team?
7: Uh, for me personally I, I I just wanna make sure that I'm the best player I can be for this team, whether it's being defensive, blocking shots, uh scoring goals when I can and chipping in and I know I have that touch of scoring in me, and um, I know I'm also good defensively, so I kind of want to just mesh everything together and just kind of bring my best self to the Blues. Uh,
2: I'm glad you brought up the uh, blocking of shots, and again, we're talking with Noel Achari, newest member of the St. Louis Blues, with us here at uh, EMB Granite Studios at Centene Community Ice Center. Uh, you, behind-the-scenes look, so we were out here yesterday for Media Day, and we were doing the pictures, and you guys do everything, and we have our video shoots that we're doing for our, our social media gifts, and one of the poses, our video, our videographer asked Noel, he said, hey, can you just point the camera for me and Noel said uh, yeah I probably shouldn't point with his finger though because this is my crooked finger at that moment Noel I'm like oh man Blues fans are going to love this guy <laughs> because this is what you do I mean you spend your entire career as the guy who I mean you're a feisty player to where you go to the front of the net you play the defensive side I think you led the league in blocked shots one season like that is your style of hockey correct yeah yeah and uh, you know I, hockey
7: you're going to get a lot of bumps and bruises and uh, you know I'm just, I'm not afraid of the puck. I feel like a second goalie sometimes out there, but uh, again, I want, I want to make sure we don't get scored on and I want to help out Binner as much as I can. And we've joked around about it a little bit. And even just the captain's practices where I'm trying to block shots and he's like looking at me like, you're already blocking shots in the captain's practice. I missed it. But I said next if it was a game, I said, I would have had it. (laughs) I love that.
3: Well, somebody else who's also tough is Craig Berube. What what have what has it been like getting to know him and is he everything that we think where he's just that stoic strong guy?
7: Yeah, absolutely. Uh he wants to win and um and he shows it on the ice and you know, I wanted to play for him and you know, just his type of style and I think again, I, I'll fit in really well with that. And again, um Yeah, I'm excited to play for them and just kind of give everything I have for them.
2: Noel, you spent the beginning of your career playing for the Boston Bruins, as many know, because you were in that team with the Stanley Cup final. And then the last three seasons, you've been with the Florida Panthers. And all but one season, you've played in the playoffs with those teams. Has that just been something that, that feels natural for you of performing in the postseason because you've been on so many teams that have performed.
7: Yeah, uh, postseasons, I I always, when people ask, I I always say it's it's a different, it's an elevated level. I mean, regular season, everyone's, obviously you want to be the best team you can. You want to win as many games, but you're winning some games, 6-5, 6-4, whatever. In the playoffs, you're not going to win those games. You can't come back from four goals it, it's a 2-1 3-2 low scoring one one-nothing, it, and it's just everyone's finishing their check doesn't matter who you are up and down the lineup you're going to get hit every shot's going to be blocked and you know I, I love that type of hockey and I think that's my type of hockey and I've been very fortunate to play most of my career in the playoffs and just kind of experience that.
2: Couple more I wanted to give with you, uh, Noel, before we uh, let you go. One of them is the news in the NHL, and I know you spent si- uh, seasons playing with him. But Zdeno Chara, calling it a career how how impactful was he as a player to play with, and what was he like as a teammate?
7: You know, he's one of the best defensemen I've ever played with. Uh, you know, he he's just an all time guy. You know, on the I, I obviously when I first came into the league and got called up, he was the first person. That talked to me before my first game, and he was just like, Are you nervous? And I was like, Yeah. He goes, Good. This is whatever game he was on. He goes, I'm still nervous. And he goes, Don't lose that. Wow. And I was just kind of took that personally, and I just kind of used that. And he goes, Once you lose that nerf, then it's. Yeah so every game's a new game and it's like you're free. he treated it like his first game and, and that stuck with me and uh, he, was a, he was a great leader on and off the ice even better person what he did around the community and he was a smart guy I know Brad Marchand had brought up some of the stuff he knew so many different languages he's got right. his real estate license all that he, he's he's just a different person but in a great way he's just down to earth good guy and would do anything for you and i congratulate him on an unbelievable career and, uh, you know, just nothing but the best. That's
2: incredible to think about, too, because people, they, they see hockey players and they're just like, oh, hey, this is a tough guy. He's been doing this his whole career. But you don't think of how much goes on behind the scenes for a guy like that. Like you said, the real estate license. Like he's got the high education. He's got all of those languages that he speaks. And it's like, oh, wait, no, this is the six-foot-seven Zidane <laughs> Chara out on the ice, right? Yeah. That's incredible. Uh, one more I wanted to ask you. Um, this season it's going to at least start to feel more and more like normal for you guys. And we were talking about this yesterday of where players are actually going to have the media back into the locker room. How much does that make a difference for guys? Because it seems like it it just was a different feel the last couple of seasons to where guys would just have to walk up and stand in front of a podium and stare at a camera rather than actually talk to people.
7: Yeah, no, it, it feels great. Just kind of the normalcy coming back like each year ever since COVID has gotten a little better and and now that everything's I would say back to normal and it's kinda but uh, it's a great feeling knowing that everything you're gonna see the media and you know you you get to know them more it's more personable right but uh, yeah I think it's great that everyone and you know just kind of feels right
2: yeah and you don't have the empty stadiums you have people standing around out of training camp right rather exactly, than nothing yeah, exactly. that's the worst well Noel, this has been awesome to get to chat with you man excited to have you here in st louis with us we're going to give you a list of so many restaurants you can go Perfect. check out i know the team's are going to give you those as well but uh good luck this season man i look forward to chatting with you this year thank you very much that's Noel chari brooke grimsley alex ferrario tanner hendrickson we'll take a break and come back with more here on bk and ferrario on 101 espm
1: we're right back to the PK and Ferrario
2: podcast
1: presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. The 3-2 pitch to Soto. Swing and a miss and he comes back to get him.
2: And a strikeout on the outside corner and that'll be the second time Machado is struck out. Inside corner and a strikeout. Five tonight for Michaelis. Machado, your runner at first. And a swing and a miss. And Michaelis, two strikeouts in the inning and six in the game. Well, we finished our show yesterday asking if Miles Michaelis was going to be able to solidify his spot in a rotation for the playoffs with his start last night against San Diego. And alongside Brooke Grimsley, I'm Alex Ferrario, Tanner Hendrickson back at our 101 Studios. We are here at the E&B Granted Studios. Miles goes six innings last night, three hits, gives up one run, two walks, and six strikeouts. And Brooke, much like Adam Wainwright, Miles Michaelis had gone through a little bit of a, a dry spell there for a while to where he was giving up a lot of hits and putting himself into tight situations. He wasn't the Miles that we saw earlier in the season. That Miles Michaelis, though, has to start in the playoffs for me because not only was the strikeouts up, but man, was he—he he was just peppering the strike zone in terms of just going at certain
3: hitters. Well, and that—and that's the sad thing about what's going on right now, right? Is that one, you had Blake Snell who kind of stole the show last night, but Miles Michaelis was fantastic, yeah. and I think to answer your question, a hundred percent. He's going to be your, one of your guys in the postseason. I like the Dan McLaughlin said earlier that right now it'd be Jordan Montgomery, Wainwright and Michaelis. I like that. Yeah. A hundred percent.
2: That's that, that would be the way the wayno one is just the concerning one. And yeah, let's hear the, let's hear the audio cut from Danny Macca. T-Bone, I think you got it pulled up. My guess would be
0: Montgomery game one. And then I'd go, uh, Waino game two, Michaelis game three there and I think Montgomery is is clearly earned that start. Um, not to say that the other two haven't, but then you go into game two and you say, "Look, either Wayno pitches this, you know, into the second round, or he, he saves our season, which he's done many, many times before in his career." And then have Michaelis for game three. But that's the direction I think that he would go. I don't know that for a fact, mm-hmm. but that would be my guess.
2: Yeah, I, I get that one right there, and I think it's I think it's impressive that you would. Do that with Montgomery first because if you would have asked me that four weeks ago, Brooke, Montgomery wouldn't have been my number one pitcher. Wayno would have been probably my number yeah. one pitcher, Michael is two, and then I would have put Montgomery three. But that speaks to how Montgomery has pitched, but it also speaks to how much Michaelis and Wayno have struggled to where it's like, then that's dipped down. So that was very reassuring to see that last night against San Diego.
3: Well, and also my thing too with Michael is for this season, even when he's had a bad outing, the way that he's able to bounce back in that next game, I think kind of comforts me a little bit where it's not concerning or alarming. Now with Wayno, we know that he's kind of, you know, hinted at maybe some dead dead arm issues, but also he's been through these situations before. He always finds a way to work through things. And the other interesting aspect and to throw into the Wayno conversation is with Dakota Hudson being activated. We know that Ollie kind of hinted at maybe he'll be used as a reliever, kind of the way that Jordan Hicks was, but also possibly putting him into that starting rotation here soon to give Wayno an extra day of rest, which that could really benefit Wainwright. Yeah, they
2: have those options. And look, if they lock things down, you might be able to skip over a Miles Michaelis to make sure that he's 100% for the postseason. So T-Bone, are you on the same page as us to where you feel like last night's performance pretty much locked him in?
5: Yeah I think it did not I thought it would if heading into last night if he pitched really well I thought he was going to lock himself into the rota- into the playoff rotation because that was a playoff caliber opponent I mean you're either going to see San Diego or Philly and it's now looking more likely that it's going to be the Philadelphia Phillies that you end up seeing or Milwaukee so seeing him do that against one of those teams that we're talking about as a p- potential wild card matchup I think that solidified his spot in the playoff rotation and I think it Almost locks up your wild card round rotation because I, I agree with what Danny Max said on the Balloon Party earlier in that cut that we played. That I think the way Ollie would think about it now is Montgomery would be a guy that's going to get a start in that wild card round for sure. Michaelis definitely going to get a start as well, and I think Wainwright as well because I just can't see even if he continues to struggle them turning away from Adam Wainwright, and then it just comes down to that fourth spot between Flaherty and Quintana. But I think Michaelis took his name out of that conversation as a guy that may not be in the wild card rotation and made sure he locked that spot up after last night's out.
2: Yeah, I mean, me personally, I think that pretty much solidifies the three starters in your wild card. And then from there, like you just mentioned, you're you're competing for the fourth. Uh, Jack's going to have an opportunity tonight to earn that, but it's going to be difficult for how well Jose Quintana has pitched. But is that how you would set it up in the wild card? Would you go Montgomery one, Michaelis two, Wayne oh three?
3: I think so, just depending on... Look, I, I would I like to see a little bit more consistency from Weno, yes, but like as I mentioned, maybe it's a little bit more of the dead arm thing and he just needs a little bit more of a break in between some of those starts. I I think I like it in general because we've also seen Waino, especially last season in the postseason. Oh, yeah. I mean, Waino and October is so much fun to watch, mm-hmm. right? I mean, he is completely locked in. Even now, he's locked in. I like the other night, whenever he was pitching, Mike Maddox came out to talk to him. He kind of gave him a look back like... Can I help you? Yeah, the I'm side good. look. Yeah, <laughs> and I think that you need that confidence. You need that edge out there. I do like it a lot. And I mean, Miles Michaelis, the the whole question the season is is this the 2019 Miles Michaelis? And it really feels like yeah. it. I mean, he's allowed less than three runs in two of his four September starts. That's really good going into the postseason. Well, Boas and season. I loved
2: what Danny Max said on the broadcast last night too. I mean, you know, his record does not represent, and this is what I always say, T Bone, that you know, wins and losses don't matter. Just like the ERAs don't matter, T-Bone. I always say that. Look at the advanced Dude. statistics and not that stuff. But his win-loss record doesn't represent how he has pitched this season. No. When you think of the other top-caliber pitchers he's gone up against, the McClanahans, the Corbin Burnses, uh, who did he pitch against in the Atlanta Braves series, T-Bone? Was it, um, was was it Max Freed? Or Why? was it,
5: it was either him or Strider? I can't remember yeah. who it was he matched up. With. He's
2: gone up against the other team's top opponents and he's competed against them, so that really does put that into perspective of him locking down that spot. But here's the other thing, and Brooke, you just brought this up about Dakota Hudson. So Ali Marmol basically mentioned that yesterday in the pregame media availability. Packy Naughton was optioned back to Memphis, or I believe he was he placed on the taxi squad and the
5: Both. poor Packy. Yeah,
2: gone down, taxi yeah. squad. Dakota Hudson was recalled after that one starting performance on the doubleheader against Cincinnati, and Ollie said that they're going to view Dakota Hudson possibly in a reliever role much like the way that Jordan Hicks has been used this season, initially into uh, low-leverage situations, but if that goes well, he gets those high-leverage situations as Hudson continues to perform. And honestly, for me... That could create a very dangerous bullpen and a strength for this team just because if you think about it, you've got the Waynos, Michaelis, Montgomery, and let's just say Quintana earns the fourth starting opportunity for how he pitches the rest of the way. Then you're talking about having Flaherty and Hudson and Mattson, um Yeah, and then Matts out of your bullpen in that spot. I mean, those are three guys who were starters that could give you length if you absolutely need it.
3: Yeah, I mean, I like the fact that you can use Dakota Hudson in so many different ways. It looks like whatever he did, what he needed to do in the minors, he turned things around quickly. I like that he even said, I think he said on Bally Sports Midwest is that he used that drive back after going down to the minors to kind of. You know, hone in that anger and that fact that like he got no, the Biddington mindset. Yeah, he got, got the, pissed off exactly. Which you can tell he is locked in right now. He is fantastic and something that the Cardinals really need at this moment. And I like that you can use him in many different ways. I I still like the idea too, whether you have him in that reliever role or you put him into the starting rotation to give guys a little bit of extra rest in between, especially for Wainwright as we head into the postseason, giving him that little extra time of rest I don't think is a bad thing as he kind of gets back on track. And also, too, poor Packy Naughton as well. (laughs) But here's the thing. He's still in California. He's just on the taxi squad, which is the craziness of right now, too.
2: But he's just going to drop down that depth jar, T-Bone. Now, JoJo Romero's overtaking him in the lefty spot. So.
5: Okay, let's calm down. <laughs> That's true.
2: I, I do wonder, though, if they give Dakota another start. I, I, I wonder... I would.
5: I, if- I was going to bring this up because... If they're going to use him based on what Ollie said in those low-leverage situations, maybe that is what they're considering a potential spot start. But I wonder if they also look at Jake Woodford in that scenario to where that way you kind of know what you have in Woodford already, so you could use him in that spot start role. And then this way it allows you to kind of test what Hudson looks like coming out of the bullpen. I'm with you, though. I think they'll still consider Hudson as a possibility. In fact, I still think that's the route that they'll go if they need to spot start. But I wonder if they lean towards Jake Woodford. That way you can see what Hudson looks like coming out of the bullpen. At least that's what I would consider.
2: Yeah. And that's why, I, I mean, I don't think he can overtake a spot from anybody in the rotation. I mean, I think if Hudson were fighting with anybody, it'd be Jack Flaherty. And I don't think that would really be a competition because Jack's spot is probably going to be in the rotation. But I mean, if you give Dakota Hudson one more opportunity, maybe as a starter, and then let's say he gets four or five opportunities out of the bullpen the rest of the way, I mean, you got to be talking about a guy who legitimately could be in that high-leverage spot, and that makes a dangerous situation for the team. And I don't know how you would set this one up, T-Bone, or you, Brooke, but for me, Helsley's your ninth, Gallegos is your eighth. I guess we could say that Hicks is coming in in the seventh, and then the sixth inning is a Steven Matz or Dakota Hudson, or maybe you're just going with splits, and maybe Steven Matz is going to get an opportunity in the seventh.
3: Hmm.
5: I... I, what I would do is, I I think Hicks is going to be that guy that gets that sixth, seventh roll when he comes back. I still I agree with you there. Hellsley guy, Aos Locks. I, I think where they'll lean is, I think they'll lean Match just because Match has proven it. He's been a solid veteran for you all year long. Hudson's going to have to prove a lot in the final. What do we got left? 12 games, something like that. He's going to have to prove a lot in very limited opportunities. I, I think what happens with Hudson, I, I, I'm starting to lean, he is going to make the postseason roster coming out of the pen, but I don't know if he'll build up to where he can get to that high-leverage spot and earn that trust from Ollie in such a small sample size. I still think he'll be more of like an innings eater if needed in those low-leverage situations.
3: Well yeah and I guess the biggest question too is like what will Jordan Hicks look like when right. he returns because he it seemed like he really was kind of finding his groove a little bit prior to that before the next strain and so it's also it'll be interesting to see how he is if he'll be back to the way that he was when he comes back, because then that also adds to this conversation.
2: That, that can absolutely be a strength of this team, and it's going, to be, it's going to be seeing the opportunities get presented to these guys, and that's where you absolutely need your offense to kick in so they can put your team in a spot to where you do want to use these guys in high leverage situations. Brooke Grimsley, I'm Alex Ferrario, Tanner Hendrickson back in our 101 ESPN Studios. Coming up in about 15 minutes, we are going to dive into uh, the Cardinals offense struggling once again. Are you still optimistic on this team or have you already hit the panic button? Is the button broken? We'll get into that at about 1230. Uh, we'll take your mic drops and we'll take your uh, text or comfort service text on at 65780. But coming up next, is there a legitimate shot for Zachary Duke to break camp with the Blues? I didn't think there was until I saw the lines from earlier today in the second group. We'll discuss that next year on 101 ESPN.
1: We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN.
2: Training camp officially underway for the St. Louis Blues. Heck, their first preseason game comes your way Saturday night. Puck drop at 7. I've got pregame starting at 6. Oh, it's so nice to say that. It's also nice to see these guys on the ice. And with Brooke Grimsley, I'm Alex Ferrario. We are here at our e Granite Studios. Tanner Hendrickson back in our network, or in our 101 ESPN studios. Uh, so we've had the line combinations, which I know everyone has just been dying to see in the first day of training camp in there's some really interesting looks, if you're going to view it that way. So they, what they do is they split them into two groups. Uh, and usually when they go two groups, they're not going for like line combinations. They're going for pairs. And the reason I say that is because Buchnevich was in a different grouping than Thomas and Tarasenko was. And I think we all can assume that those three are going to be playing together this season. But Thomas and Tarasenko were skating with Zachary Bulduk. And this camp is very intriguing for many reasons. With the Jordan Bennington element and not having the Ville Jusso, uh the defensive side when you've got seven, what was eight guys fighting for six starting spots. And then at the forward position because you don't have David Perron anymore and you're going to be trying to find a way to fill that void offensively. And I've said this a lot, Brooke. I feel like what the Blues did in the offseason was they knew that their strength was offense and they said we can pluck a piece from the offense and still fill that void with other players that we have in the system. And as much as we believe Neighbors is going to be a part of this team and Logan Brown is going to be a part of this team, I think the Blues are actually really trying to get the best out of Zachary Bolduc. Not that they want him to make the team, but they want to make sure that he has no reason to sit here and say, I don't want to go back to juniors because I feel like I don't deserve to go back to juniors. So they skated him with Robert Thomas and Vladimir Tarasenko.
3: I really like that, too, because I know, as you already mentioned, of course, it's more about the pairings, but putting him with one, a young guy who obviously moved up quickly into the system and Robert Thomas, who just signed that big $65 million contract, having him with Robert Thomas, I think is a really good thing. And then Tarasenko as well. I, I think with Bullduke, he's obviously one of those fringe guys where you could see him fitting into this group, but it's a matter of if he's able to and how quickly. And so that's why I think we're all looking at him in training camp and Jake Neighbors as well. I think Jake Neighbors easily could join this group. It's just a matter of how he performs in this training camp and preseason.
2: Yeah, and for people that don't know, so the the Blues had their Traverse City tournament that they do every year. I think that was last week. Uh, and what it is is they send a lot of the the younger players, the prospects, out to this tournament to play against other teams and prospects and just to kind of see how they do in the compete level. And the team itself did not perform well. I think they got blew out in one game by like seven or eight goals. Uh, they won one game. They lost the other two. But in uh, the athletic article, uh, the, the people that were out at Traverse City watching the tournament – The player that they said stuck out to them the most, and this is Jake Neighbors was at that tournament, they said was Zachary Bolduc, and they said Zachary Bolduc had his best game when he was playing at wing, and he's a natural centerman. He played center in the uh, Quebec League. Jeremy Rutherford had a piece on that talking with Patrick Waugh, but this is a guy who also scored 55 goals in 65 games last season in junior hockey, and I know juniors is different than the NHL, but I, I... If Zachary Bolduc can create offense the way that they're hoping, I don't think he stays the full season, but it could really put a ripple effect into what this roster looks like if he breaks camp for a nine-game trial period, like they did with Jake Neighbors, like they did with Robert Thomas. Because if they say Zachary Bolduc is better than all of these other players for us in terms of creating offense, we want to see what he's got, that's going to send guys down in waivers, and that's going to put guys down in the AHL that you didn't expect to be.
3: Well, in that game that you mentioned, he scored a goal and added two assists. But, you know, I think, too, with the departure of David Perron, I'm not saying that Zachary Bolduc is going to come in here and do anything that, you know, David Perron was. But it's almost like you're looking at that future spot. Because yeah. we all know that David Perron is going to be a huge piece missing for the Blues this season. Zachary Bolduc, for many reasons, could there's some similarities there in their game as well. And that could be possibly something that in the future, I don't know about this season, as you mentioned, probably that nine-game sample size that we'll see him in, that he could fill in more of that role that David Perron provided for so many years.
2: So there's a lot of guys fighting for roster spots. And I don't know if I knew this coming into the season. Like You knew there were certain guys like Logan Brown was going to be fighting for a spot and uh, Clem Costin and Nathan Walker and Torpchenko when he's healthy. But there are some other guys that I really think if they have an impressive camp, I think they could steal some spots away uh, from some other possible NHL players. So, Brooke, this is the first time I think I've gotten to work with you on one of these. So get real excited because (laughs) T-Bone hit the open. You're listening to
1: BK and Ferrario. It's time for the Ferrario 5, a top five list of very random things. So, Ferrario, give us your top five.
2: Just to personally pump my own tires, there's no randomness about this because there are so many members of the Ferrari 5 walking around here at Centene Community Ice Center. Pavel Buchnevich, Martin Frick. Did they get uh, their
5: t-shirt yet? I,
2: no, not yet. Not yet. I got to get one. You know, side note here, behind the scenes, we had our media day, as I mentioned, with Noel Chari. I really wanted to pull Martin Frick in here and just say, like, hey, Martin, I need you to do me a favor and just say, hi, this is Martin Frick, member of the Ferrari 5. And you're listening to... BK and Ferrari on 101 ESPN. I didn't do it, and I'm very ashamed of myself. Unbelievable. Regardless, let's move into this. So one name that I have at the bottom of this list that I'll, I'll tell people keep an eye on. It depends on how much opportunities he gets. But his name's Anthony Angelo. Uh, and he is six foot five and 26 years old. He's a right winger. He's A majority of his time has been played in the minors in the American Hockey League. It's been in the Pittsburgh Penguins organization. Uh, but he also has played 31 games in the NHL. I think if I, I don't know much about his style, but if he can play with an aggressiveness, it could be a little Alexei Torbchenko-esque where you got a six foot five dude, 210 pounds, who could play a physical brand of hockey if he's responsible defensively. He could steal a spot from somebody and put himself in a fourth-line role for this team. So I would just say keep an eye on an Anthony Angelo in case he impresses in camp. That might be a long shot I was
5: going to say, I think Angelo, he's kind of that, and this is why he's at five on your list. I think he's a long shot to steal a roster spot, but if he can play like Torvchenko, then yeah, there's no reason. You're going to have to try and find somebody to fill with that energy that Torvchenko brought uh, last year in the playoffs, so if he can do that, then I think there's a possibility he steals a spot.
2: He had two seasons in the American Hockey League where he scored 16 goals in each of them. This past year with the Wilkes-Barre, Scranton Penguins, scored seven goals in 44 games, so just a player to keep an eye on. Number four on this list is Klim Costin. Klim Kostin I think, is at a crossroads moment in the season, where this is this is the Blues. And by the way, he skated with uh, Brooke. You mentioned this, but Ivan Barbashev and Nola Chari. To me, that looks like possibly a fourth line, maybe a third line, depending on what they want to go with. But to me, I wonder if the Blues went to Klim Kostin and said, "This is it. This is your final season for you to." make the NHL roster. Because otherwise, we're going to have to go a separate way because you can't sit here and wait as much as you want. Now, granted, Klim is, what is he, still 20? 20, he's 23 years old, so it's not like this is the end of his career. But he played well for a little bit with the Blues last season, Brooke. Then he got sent down to the AHL and stayed there the rest of the season. Didn't come back up in the postseason run. He's fourth on my list because I feel like with backs against the wall I wonder if Clem Costin can t- can take a spot and stick all season long.
3: That's going to yeah, that's going to be the biggest question. I, and you know you you mentioned the age there, 23, so it's like, oh, he's still young. No, this is this should be a huge turning point for him because I think there what he was one of those players that there was so much promise and expectations with him coming up and it just hasn't happened yet for various reasons, injuries being one of them, but you feel like this is going to be a huge either turning point for him or it's time for the Blues to move on. I
5: was going to say, I think, Coston, to your point, Alex, when you mentioned him in that crossroads, to me he's kind of – it's a little bit different because Sanford had more playing style or had played more. I think he's in that spot where it's Sanford. Either you find a role on the team or we're going to end up just shipping you elsewhere, and I think that's at the spot he's at heading into camp.
2: Yeah, number three on this list is a guy by the name of Matthew Highmore. Uh, and I don't know if people remember this guy, Matthew Pekka last season for the Blues. Love I think Pecka. So he came up for a little bit. I think he picked up a goal because everyone from the AHL picked up a goal last season for the Blues. So Matthew Pekka has played a majority of his career with the Chicago Blackhawks, and the last two seasons he's played with the Vancouver Canucks. This is a guy who has offensive upside. He scored 34 goals and had 89 points in the uh, Quebec Hockey League back in 2016-17. Has not done it a lot in the NHL, but but it's been because he's been on a fourth line. And the only reason I have him here, I don't think he offsets anybody in terms of stealing spots, but if Matthew Highmore can go out there and put a really productive offensive preseason, I wonder if they look at this and say, you know what, maybe we put him on the roster at the beginning of the season like we did with James Neal, where gets a third-line opportunity here and there, maybe moves down to the fourth line, but we're hoping for offense from him. This could be one of those players. He's five foot 11 he's got some speed, played with Vancouver last season. Could be somebody that could steal the show a little bit.
5: Yeah, he sounds like a guy that could end up going in there into camp, and if he does that offense production that you're talking about, he sounds like the guy that you'd want to kind of balance out a fourth line, potentially, with yeah. that speed aspect that you're talking about.
2: All right, now we get to the best part of this one right here.
3: Dun, dun, dun.
2: Number two on this <laughs> list is Ferrari 05 member Martin Frick. They put Martin Frick on a line, and again, look at this as pairings more than anything. They put him on a line with Brandon Saad and Logan Brown. Now, a couple of things for me. One, that tells me Logan Brown's going to get a serious opportunity at being a third-line center for this team because we know Braden Shen can be a winger. Brown can be a winger, too. But Martin Frick is a player who has scored a lot of goals in his NHL, or I'm sorry, in his AHL career. Last season, he scored 40 goals in 58 games, Uh, He's had multiple 20 or more goal seasons in the American Hockey League. He has been a glorified American Hockey League player. But his best offensive season in the NHL came with the Detroit Red Wings where he had 11 goals in 68 games. Defensively, I don't know how irresponsible he is, but Martin Frick, I think, a guy who set the American Hockey League record for hardest slap shot, I think it was at 106.9 miles per hour, I think this could be a guy who could get a third-line role for this team. He's going to have to steal it from multiple players. But I think they might view Martin Frick as a goal scorer that they could put on this roster if they need him to. And frankly, he's just really has never gotten the opportunity at the NHL elsewhere.
3: So you're saying that you think that this is going to be a huge... You see him on the third line.
2: I see him on a third line. Not Brooke. even the fourth Not line. Not even a fourth line. I see him possibly outplaying Jake Neighbors.
3: Really? Now,
2: remember what Doug Armstrong... Hear me out, T-Bone. Stop rolling your damn eyes.
3: You see, T-Bone and I are on the same page I know. Stop it,
2: both of you. This is hockey guy Ferrario over here. Remember, Doug Armstrong did say that if neighbors is 10 to 14 range in players, he's going to the AHL. He's not staying up here to be a fourth liner. He's going to go down and be a, a top liner for the American Hockey League. If he doesn't have a good camp and Martin Frick has a good camp... Martin Frick could basically say, we're going to keep him here because he's got goal-scoring opportunities, and we could send him down later if we need to. But if not, Jake Neighbors can go to the AHL and be a top-liner, and Martin Frick can be a fourth-liner for us, third-liner for us, and maybe just be a goal-scorer for the time being.
5: Can I be honest
2: with you? No, I don't want to hear your honesty.
5: I, I think if Martin Frick ends up outperforming Jake Neighbors in camp, it's a very disappointing start. To the Jake Neighbors era here in St. Louis, I I, absolutely agree, and and I'm not saying I'm expecting like 20, 30 goals from Jake Neighbors this season. But if he can't outperform a what did you call him a glorified AHL player here for a potential third line role, it's a little bit concerning in my opinion, at least in his first camp
3: and a shot. You know what? I'm I'm with T Bone on that. You
2: know what? I'm freaking mad at both of you guys. Let's go to number (laughs) one. I got to get to a break. I'm going super long here. Josh Levo. Josh Levo is the guy who I fully expect to break camp with this team. Uh, They signed him to a one-way contract. Uh, spent a lot of time with the Carolina Hurricanes. And the, I'm sorry, a lot of time with the Toronto Maple Leafs. A little time with Vancouver. Last season, he was with Carolina. But he scored 15 goals in 18 playoff games for the Chicago Wolves when they beat Springfield in the playoffs. Josh Levo, I believe the fourth line to start the season for this team will be Clem Nola Nolachari, and Josh Levo. And I know Barbashev's been playing with him there, but I think Barbashev will be a top-nine winger for them. I think they're just seeing what this looks like. I think Josh Lievel will be on this team. He is six 6'2", 192 pounds, goes to the front of the net, can score goals. Josh Level will be the one that I believe will turn heads the most at training camp this season.
5: Yeah, I think he definitely, I, because of what you said, the one-way contract. And then I kind of agree with you. I, I don't know if Kostin will end up getting that fourth-line opportunity just because I'm I'm not sold on Clem Kostin. I think he's going to be potentially in the minor leagues or shipped out by the time we get to the end of training camp. But I do believe that Josh Levo is going to be the guy that gets in and makes an impression to where he gets a role on this fourth line.
2: Guys, 109.2 miles per hour. That's how hard Martin Frick's slap shot was in the AHL.
3: I thought we moved on from No, Frick. we didn't, Brooke. We never
2: move on from Martin Frick. He's a member of the Ferrari 05. We always stick with our guys. We're coming back in 15 minutes with the junk drawer, but coming up next, has the Cardinals offense got you fully out? Are you hitting the panic button? One MLB Network host isn't worried about it at all. We'll discuss that next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the BK
1: and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. This is just a phase. They're ratcheting things up. They're going to get every bit of momentum going towards the playoffs. This will be a magical end to a magical season for Albert Paul, Yadir Molina, Adam Witten. The whole storyline is a beautiful one. The Cardinal Nation will smile again. Do not get too close to windows. Close the window.
0: (laughs) Everything's fine in St.
1: Louis. The Cardinals will be playing in the playoffs. They'll be popping bottles soon. Life is normal in the loo. We can all smile again.
2: Some smart advice from Greg Amzinger there, especially for how down a lot of Cardinals fans are today after that, uh, once again, a shutout him. loss. Sun's no, not out.
5: Sun's not yeah. out. Greg, no, I, it's not even sunny outside. Can't Cloud. really
2: blame him. But you know what? I get accused a lot, and so does BK on this show, of you know getting people's hopes up a lot. Like, we got people's hopes up about the Triple Crown, and we got people's hopes up for a trade of Juan Soto Greg Amsinger is getting people's hopes up right now because, look, I am all for the optimism of this team getting out of this funk, and it is a funk because this has not been a, a theme all season long. But to 43 straight innings without scoring an earned run, 16 times they have been shut out this season, which is the most in the National League. And as we talked about earlier, the offense in their last four games a 186 on base percentage, a 299 OPS, they're 152 batting with runners on, 077 with runners in scoring position. As much as that's a funk, that is also a trend of this team to where they're either crushing the ball or they aren't getting anything done. And that can be very problematic in a postseason when you're not going up against you know, the middle of the tier rotation guys you're going up against the Aaron Nolas and the Zach Wheelers if you're facing Philly, or you're going up against the Brandon Woodruffs and the Corbin Burns if you get Milwaukee, or the Blake Snells if you get San Diego. And that's starting to make me very concerned about the this quote-unquote funk that they're in.
3: Well, and that's why I was saying earlier, I would rather this be just a hitting slump. They're, they're in just a weird space right now and that they can work through it. I'd rather it be that than the pitchers. And look... You, of course, have to tip your hat to Blake Snell and what he was able to do last night. But at the same time, I don't want it to be because they're facing really good pitching and can't figure it out. That's Mm -hmm. not what you want, especially as you go to the postseason. As you mentioned there, all those names. Yeah, you're going to face some great quality pitching you're going to see a lot of Blake Snells performing their best because it's the postseason. I'd rather it be just some weird, maybe Miles Michaelis needs to break out the sage again and we just get (laughs) through this weird funk of September or whatever is going on right now and we just work our way through it because I'd rather be that than the pitching's really good and they just can't face it.
2: Yeah, I don't want last season to be this season. and I know it was a one-game wild card. That's everyone's rebuttal when I bring this up, but... I don't need another Cardinals playoff performance of, man, what a start from Jordan Montgomery. Yes. Seven innings, nine strikeouts, only one base runner, but they lost that game one to nothing. Or Adam Wainwright goes out and dazzles once again, but the Cardinals struck out 14 times and couldn't figure out the Anibal Sanchez's. I don't want that again. That's why the panic is there, because this team truly is Paul Goldschmidt, Nolan Arenado, Albert Pujols, or bust. The problem is, If one of those guys is hitting and the others aren't, it's still bust for this team. Albert Pujols has been the guy only getting on base, but everyone else has been struggling and the Cardinals have been shut out for 43 straight innings.
3: Well, and that's my question that I was kind of wondering is what is Albert Pujols doing that the other guys aren't? Is it just because he's been kind of in the second <laughs> half of the season hot streak and he's just continuing to find ways? What is he doing that the rest of those guys are not? Because he's either way finding a way, breaking break, up uh, Blake Snell's no-no bid last right. night. He's still finding a way every single game.
2: Staring at his tablet, I guess, right, T-Bone? Nolan Gorman said he wasn't really looking at that stuff when he was up here.
5: Yeah,
3: that's not ideal. But I,
5: <laughs> I, uh, I, with this offense, I mean, you look at Albert. Albert, you're just trust because he's got the veteran veteran that he is, being I mean, in the league joking for almost aside, two centuries. Joking two centuries. aside,
2: he really is staring at that tablet after every at-bat. Like, no, he, he He's is. sitting on, yeah. the, on the bench staring at that tablet.
5: Yeah, I think Albert's just using his, uh, I don't even know what you'd call it, but he's just, he, he's been around the league so long his that expertise. He's, he's seen just about everything that can be thrown at him, and I, I think that's the advantage he has. I think Goldie and Arnauto, I agree, look... Am I concerned about the offense? Yeah, every day that we go across and the offense continues to struggle as the game start to wind down, it starts to raise my alarm bells just a little bit more because of the fact of what uh, what we've been what what we talked about yesterday where it is this wouldn't be a concern if you weren't running out of time heading into the playoffs. Like I truly don't think if this was May, this would be would it be ideal to have this kind of a stretch where your offense hasn't scored an earned run and what was it 40 uh, 43 innings? 43, yeah. Yeah, that's not ideal, but this is May. You figure the offense is going to find a way to get out of it. The problem is that you're running out of time now, and that's what raises the concern to me. Do I think that this offense is going to be able to turn this around by the time we get to October playoff baseball? I truly do. I think they're going to find a way to get out of this kind of disaster that they're in right now. I, I just think the problem is everybody's gone cold and it's become more noticeable because this entire offense of Goldie and Arnado has gone cold with them. But I think that those guys, I trust those guys are going to get it figured out before you get into October. I mean, hell you got six games against Pittsburgh. You should be able to beat the crap out of them. And that's where yeah. I think if they don't, they may not fix it on this road trip, which will be concerning because they're going to be against this elite pitching. But I think they will turn this around by the time we get into October.
2: Yeah. That's where I'm at too. Like, I think now that you've seen these two games against San Diego, like this pitching is going to be very difficult. I mean, Blake Snell has never thrown 99-miles-an-hour pitches, and John Denton said last night that I think he threw like two of them towards Albert Pujol. So, like, these pitchers, I think... The book is out on the Cardinals now in terms of other teams know. There's no kind of coming in and thinking, oh, yeah, the Cardinals are a middle of the tier NL Central team. No, they are the best NL Central team that's out there. Teams know that. It's like when the Blues were really good. You didn't get their worst games when you went into Minnesota or Nashville. Those teams knew that the Blues were playing well. You got the best of them. That's what you're seeing with pitching. You have to break out of this slump against Pittsburgh. And honestly... Maybe against Milwaukee, too. And I don't know how that lines up with Milwaukee if you get Burns or Woodruff because it's only a two-game set. But you've got to break out offensively of this slump in those games because if you wrap up the series against the Padres and the Dodgers and you don't get offense, fine. I think a lot of people expected the Dodgers to be better than the Cardinals. And look, the Padres played better. There's nothing you could say. But if you can't get your offense going against Milwaukee and you can't do it in six games against Pittsburgh and then go into the playoffs it's going to be very difficult to have optimism about that team if you're one of those players because you're struggling so much.
3: Well, yeah, that's when you hit the full panic button, right? This is this is my thing is, one, I think we all know that, especially stars, even Nolan Arenado and Paul Goldschmidt will go through their little slumps, their hitting slumps. My whole thing is I'm looking to the Cardinals outfield right now. Something, something needs to happen there. There needs to be more of a spark from them. I think that they were kind of hoping that Alec Burleson would be able to kind of bring that, and we're just not having it at this moment. That's where kind of my concern lies right now because I fully believe that Arenado Goldschmidt can turn it around and turn it around quickly. They do this all the time. They have that veteran mentality. They've been through this, but I'm more concerned about the outfield and what's going on there.
2: Yeah, they got to figure out those roles for it without question. Uh Let's hear a couple pieces of audio. First, let's hear from Ollie talking about uh, the... His confidence in this team, of course, we kind of voiced our confidence. I I see all of your uh, confidence and lack of confidence. More of that on the Air Comfort Service text on at 65780. But where's Ollie's confidence at?
4: Here's the deal. I have more confidence in this group now than I did when we were killing the league in offense and nobody was talking about the fact that we weren't scoring runs. I'm more confident in what we are able to do as a club today than I did a month ago. Because uh, you can tell about people when you when you go through what we're going through right now, how they respond to it. Um, it tells you a lot about who they are, their character, their ability to, to fight through it. And I'll be honest with you, I have a ton of confidence in them, and they have a ton of confidence in themselves. So I, I, mean, I know I keep repeating this, but I'm concerned zero.
2: I'll give it to Ollie. I mean, when he says these things, whether it's confidence in offense that's struggling, confidence in a pitcher that's struggling, or even an individual player, and he gives them that confidence and trust, those players seem to come through for it. But him saying that he's got more confidence now than what he had last month,
3: that makes me a little concerned. Uh, Yeah, I can kind of understand. Look, of course... He knows that some of that stuff is going to get out there. He's trying to speak to not only you know the fan base but the players as well, showing like, look, I'm not freaking out, so you guys shouldn't be freaking yeah, you out. you have I to-, to. I totally get that, but at the same time, saying that you have the same comp conf- same confidence as when they were doing really, really well offensively, yeah. I-, I think we all see that there's a clear difference. And then two. As I mentioned, you bring up zero. Yes, Ollie, we're seeing lots of zeros yes. right now. And that's why everybody's hitting the panic button. But here's my question. I think about this, too, is sometimes is what do you say as the manager or head coach in this situation? What yeah. what do you say? Because I'm sure it's different what he's saying. And maybe maybe he is saying the same thing, but I'm sure he's saying something a little bit differently to the players you know, behind closed doors. But, I mean... What do you say? What is the best yeah. answer that you honestly give to the fan base at this time? I think you
2: have to do that because you have to, like, regardless of what the fan base thinks, you got to make sure that the players aren't freaking out. And I know the veterans in that room aren't freaking out, but you got to keep the other guys off of the ledge, so to speak, because... If they continue to freak out and the manager starts voicing that, well, then everything seems to fall apart. And plenty of those veterans have been voicing that, including Adam Wainwright, who uh, he was on with Kerry Davis and Randy Carricker this morning on the opening drive, and he talked about the struggles on offense.
0: I think timing of, of, of what's going on is very important. It's inevitable. In a major league baseball season, 162 games, you're going to go through ups and downs. We went through a, a couple of downs earlier this season, too, and we came out of them playing even better. Uh, we're definitely going through a down period right now, offensively, obviously, where we're not scoring a lot of runs. You know, our, our, uh, one of our best pitchers has pitched like a knucklehead the last four or five times out. Um, and so you you want to get this kind of thing out of the way. You don't want it to happen. But it's just inevitable. You can't avoid it. It's just there's too many games. You go through a stretch where things don't work out. The good thing is everybody's starting to get real ticked off about how things have been going. <laughs> And usually, when you're in the lowest of lows is when you're the closest to being at the highest of highs.
2: Well, let's hope the uh, the ever flowing wisdom of Adam Wainwright is true, and that uh, lowest of lows is broken through later on tonight. Uh, when they take on San Diego, or this afternoon, I should say, when they take on San Diego once again. Brooke Grimsley, I'm Alex Ferrario. We are here at our ENB Granite Studios at Centene Community Ice Center. Tanner Hendrickson back in our 101 ESPN studios. We're here for Blues training camp. We will take a break when we come back. Greg Washinsky NHL insider for ESPN. He's going to join us to talk the start of spring tr- or training camp, not spring training, my God, but also <laughs> talk St. Louis Blues. All that next year on 101 ESPN. We're back with BK and Ferrario here on 101 ESPN alongside Brooke Grimsley. I'm Alex Ferrario, Tanner Hendrickson with us as well. As we are here at the EB Granite Studios at the Centene Community Ice Center where the Blues have officially opened up training camp. Day one is. In the books, officially, I think they just got off of the ice. Day two tomorrow starts at 10 a.m., and the preseason begins on Saturday for the Blues. And to talk a little hockey and a little Blues preseason, we welcome in one of my favorites. He's the senior NHL writer at ESPN. He is Greg Washinski. Greg, it's great to talk with you, my man, and uh, we got so much hockey to get into, but I'm going to start with video games because this just popped up, and frankly, I don't understand what the hell's going on. Uh, so EA Sports, you know they've been they've been releasing all of the uh, ratings for NHL players the for the upcoming NHL 23 game. Uh, Greg Jordan Kyrie wasn't listed as a top 10 fastest skater in the game, and I don't understand what the hell is going on.
0: Yeah, I saw that. I think Taylor Hall might have been on that list, <laughs> yes. and uh,
2: he, I mean it, maybe it's maybe it's a list from like you
0: know, 2013 or something that they're just recycling. <laughs> Maybe it's like the anniversary of that list uh, and they're just recycling for this edition. But yeah, I was sort of baffled by that. I mean, I think kairu uh, certainly uh, made it part of his uh, bio to be the fastest skater or one of the fastest skaters uh, in the NHL based on what we saw last year. I'll go with one of, because I think Connor still thinks he's the fastest um, and he'll get angry if I put <laughs> kairu over. But uh, But I think he's definitely... Like, top two, uh, so that was kind of weird. A weird move. I thought you were going to say uh, that Ted Lasso is going to be in FIFA. I thought that was the big video game. I, I was going
2: to go there with you, or honestly, I was going to get into a little bit of a wrestling video game with you, so you never know what you're going to throw out there with Greg Wyshynski. Uh I just felt like I was being punked when I saw Taylor Hall on this list and not Jordan Kyrou, but whatever it might be. Uh, but let me ask you about Jordan Kairou, Greg, because he along with Robert Thomas were the big news of the offseason for the Blues. Thomas getting the 8-year, 8.125 contract extension, and uh, Jordan Kyrou Gets the exact same one. Were you surprised that he signed for that much? Did you think it was going to be less than that? What did you make of the deal?
0: No, I. You know, the only reason that you think he might get a little bit less is because Thomas plays a more important position. He's a center. Um, I think we all we all see him as being, uh, if not the number one center on the team. Now, obviously, someone who's going to be going to ascend there uh, in in the duration of the contract. So maybe a little bit of surprise just based positionally where they play. Uh, but I talked to Thomas at the NHL Player Media Tour in Vegas, and he wasn't really surprised that uh, that Kairou uh, got the same contract and was really happy, obviously, to see him get the same deal. Was surprised, actually, that it wasn't uh, a dollar more than Thomas's. He thought that that would have been kind of a fun flex <laughs> if Kairou had decided to do that. Um, but, you know, I, I think... Uh, given market value, given everything we've seen, I think it, it's it's not an overpayment for Cairo if he continues to trend up trend upward. And obviously, um, you know, seeing the age of the roster, seeing some of the contracts that are coming up next summer, um, it's not out of the, out of the realm of possibility that this is uh, Thomas and Cairo's team pretty quickly uh, uh, when it comes to the Blues.
3: Jordan Bennington, obviously, you know, we've been talking about that today because Jeremy Rutherford of The Athletic put out this great article talking about how, you know, Jordan Bennington kind of admitted it was a rough season for him mentally and getting back on track. But obviously, as we saw in the playoffs, he became the Blues' number one goalie again. But this season, he doesn't have Billy Huso behind him. It's Thomas Grice, more of a journeyman. What are your kind of expectations for Jordan Bennington going into this season?
0: Um, they're, they're pretty high because <laughs> he's going to have to be good. Like you said, I, I think Jordan Bennington, you know, has shown that, uh, in the right season, he could be a very competent postseason goalie. I think that, uh, the play that he had last year, obviously changed some minds because he had not necessarily played well in the previous post since that incredible cup run. Um, but I, I see Jordan Bennington most effectively as a tandem goalie. And, and I'm not sure that, that Grice gives you the kind of tandem that Husso gave you um, or that that others have given in, in the past when Bennington, when, when I think, has been at his best. So, you know, I, does the, the goaltending take a downgrade this year a little bit? I think it does. Um, and I think that just adds a little bit more pressure on, on Bennington to uh, play as much as possible and be as good as he can in the regular season.
2: Greg, we're going to talk about this a little bit later on in our show, but I'm curious your thoughts. Do you feel the identity of this team has shifted a little bit because – Last season, you came into the season, and you knew that the Blues were going to have a really talented offense with all of the names that they had. Now, no David Perron, and people are talking of who's going to step into that role. But it seems like a lot of people are more talking about if the defense plays well, it could be a really good defensive team.
0: Yeah, but I I think right now the modus modus operandi has to be offense. I mean, just the amount of talent that they have at the forward position. Um, Like you said, coming into last season, we knew they'd be good offensively. I don't think any of us realized they'd be that good offensively. And, you know, part of the trick, I think, not only for the Blues, but for other teams in the league right now is trying to figure out what parts of last season were an anomaly and what parts are going to be repeated this season insofar as goal scoring. I mean, I wrote about this last year about how there are a number of different factors that played into the explosion of goal scoring that we saw last season Uh, including COVID absences and interruptions in schedule and and everybody just kind of being a bit fatigued, I think, from the previous two seasons. Um, At the same time, there's been a growing offensive trend in this league for the last decade and so far as the average goals per game per team climbing year over year almost consistently for the last decade. So there's a little bit of, of expect the Blues to score at the same clip that they've been scoring at. And there's a little bit of, okay, but maybe not at the historic levels (laughs) that we saw last season, given some of the noise that we had uh, in the trend line. So uh, I think they're going to be very good offensively. I think that's where the focus should be. But I'm curious about them and all these other teams, too, whether some of the numbers that we saw last year are going to be repeatable.
3: Well, and going into this camp, of course, everybody's looking at some of the guys who might break through the season. We've been we discussing this earlier. It seems like Jake Neighbors, Clem Cosson, and Logan Brown are some of the guys that a lot of people are seeing. Okay, can they take that next step forward? What are your thoughts? And is there some, or is there somebody else that you think that we should be looking at as well?
0: Yeah, Cosson the guy is the guy that I have sort of my eyes on uh, insofar as taking the next leap. I mean, uh, somebody who's been mentioned. Um, for the last couple of years, as far as being you know an important name in the prospect pool, and you know I'm, I'm intrigued to see what the what the ice time looks like, um, not only in the preseason but early in the season. What kind of role uh, is going to be given? Because that's you know obviously somebody that can that can really help a team. So you know Brown to me probably slots in around the third line uh, potentially, and then we'll see where Costin fits in. But um, it's it'll be interesting to see. I mean you know again I I, I saw. Uh, today, that the expectation is that uh, Kyru and Thomas will be split up to begin the season. Um, they obviously didn't play together the entire time last season, but I thought they were quite good together when they did. So it'll it'll be interesting to see exactly where the pieces fit.
2: Greg, are you surprised that Ryan O'Reilly doesn't have a contract extension yet?
0: No, I'm not because he's the captain, and as per tradition, that means he won't be there. After. <laughs>
2: God, that's not <laughs> oh, what we wanted to hear, Greg.
3: Why did you I do mean, that?
0: I, I I have a column with bold predictions coming out tomorrow on the ESPN. My first column of the season, and that's my prediction. My prediction is that Ryan O'Reilly will play his last year as a blue. Uh,
3: uh, you left. You, you left. I know. I'm it's speechless. speechless right I'm now. just
2: baffled by that, Greg, because the Alex Petrangelo thing, you can understand a little bit, although it didn't make a lot of sense because he was 31 and. Defensemen usually play really well into their age, 36 season, unless injuries take a toll. Uh, The David Perron thing has been vastly confusing, but when it comes to Ryan O'Reilly, for me, they're in a tough cap spot, without question. But I also look at it and say, if you lose Ryan O'Reilly, the depth of your center position is gone. It's Thomas, it's Shen, and that's it. And for the longest time, the Blues were searching for depth at center until 2019, when they finally traded for Ryan O'Reilly.
0: Well, first of all, you're you're forgetting David Backus, which is the other part of that trend. Another yeah. another captain who was uh, sent off to the farm uh, when he became an unrestricted free agent. <laughs> that,
2: that that looked that looked like a good, so smart decision by Doug at the time, though. It, it, it did. It did. It
0: did. Now, I think in O'Reilly's case, look, I'm you know half joking. Obviously, it's. It's it's sort of funny how this keeps on happening to guys that get yes. Um but I mean there's there's other considerations. Uh, you know, it, it seems that conditions have changed for Vladimir Tarasenko in this franchise and, and the importance of Tarasenko to the offense that we were just speaking about. You know, Barbashev needs a contract. You know, they've they've got a lot of money committed to their D. Um, I think one of the things that you're that you're kind of underestimating is um, you know O'Reilly is going to command a really high cap hit and he might command it for multiple seasons as he's getting older. And you could circle that money and circulate it into a different direction and, and get younger in that position if you thought you could. Um, it doesn't mean that you're going to have somebody that was effective as, an, as a, and as important as O'Reilly has been to this team. Um, but under the, the hard cap, and, and yeah, it's going to r- raise in the next couple years a little bit, but under the hard cap, you have to start making these kinds of decisions with veteran players. And, and Doug Armstrong in the past has shown that you know it's not necessarily – the long-term financial commitment thing that he wants to do with guys when they when they cross 30 um, and so uh, listen given the history and given the money and given the other contracts they have to hand out like, and, and, and by the way that they've handed out let's not forget about the, um, the amount of money being added to the cap with, with Thomas and Cairo um, not a realm of possibility this could be the last run for O'Reilly
3: so wait a minute I just want to circle back on something real quick are you saying that Tarasenko will stay is that something that you were hinting towards
0: I'm saying that I wouldn't be shocked if, you know, emotions are in a better place um, and the, uh, the output offensively is similar to what he had last year. I mean, he's, he's a younger player. He's a dynamic player. He's always been a dynamic player. I think, you know, I, I'm, I'm with the chorus of people that probably didn't think that he would be around now or that, you know, if you circle it back to a couple years ago that he would have been around at the end of his contract, but I mean, seeing the value that he bought to the team last year as as a linemate for one of your top offensive players was was really striking. And, and so, I don't know. I think the possibility is there that he's he's the one that sticks around because um, he's younger and, and he's a unique player.
2: What What I'm hearing here is uh, the Blues' captaincy is going to be something that players try and avoid for the next ten to fifteen <laughs> seasons because it seems everyone is uh, gone as soon as they get it. And-
0: and I should and I should say this is this is with no inside information. This is just spitballing here. There's oh, of bold course. Predictions, right? Of course. So I don't I don't want to I don't want to cause a panic in the Blues uh, community. Oh, oh saying, too, well, late, Greg. Gonna <laughs> too uh, late, Greg. Not going to be back.
2: Too late, Greg. The amount of the amount of damn it, Greg texts that we just got on our text line is phenomenal.
0: <laughs> I just want I just want to say that you know when you start adding up the numbers of contracts that have been given out that need to be given right. out and you start looking at the ages of players and, and like you said you look at the the curse of the captaincy. I mean, the good news for Colton Parako, if he gets to see if O'Reilly leaves, that he's got a multi-year deal. Uh, You know, he's going to be here for a while. (laughs) So, So it just starts adding up is all I'm saying.
2: Uh, Greg, final one I want to get from you, and we always appreciate the time, man. I love talking hockey with you. Uh, Doug Armstrong had a comment in the, uh, in the, in the post dispatch here, talking just about how he feels this season, the West is actually more wide open than what it was last year. And he kind of hinted at, look, Colorado is still probably the top dog, but they're more vulnerable than what they were last season. Do you see the West that way also?
0: Well, I do think they're more vulnerable because, you know, losing Nazem Kadri means that their second line center position is in flux. And, And not having Darcy Kemper there means that they're going to have some question marks in gold that they didn't necessarily have last season as well. Um, So I I do think, you know, and then, you know, the amount of miles they put on last year in the playoffs, it all adds up to them maybe being a bit more vulnerable than they were. But the West is a conundrum, man. I mean, you look at the Central Division, um, you have no less than than five teams all with a legit claim at the playoffs. And that's not even counting Winnipeg and whatever they may end up becoming um, if they can find something from that roster. And then over in the Pacific, I mean, I think you, you can concede playoff seeds for the Flames and the Oilers. The Kings leveled up last year. We all assume Vegas, if they're healthy, could be good enough up front to compensate for, for average or below average goaltending. Um, and then you have, you know, Vancouver sort of sniffing around too. So, like, it's going to be a very, very challenging uh, year inso- insofar as trying to grab those wildcard spots in particular in the Western Conference because if you are – Dallas or St. Louis or Nashville or Minnesota, the teams that are behind Colorado, it's going to be imperative to try to get those two, three spots in the central and not have to worry about those Pacific teams that, oh, by the way, are going to have the chance to beat up on the San Jose's and Anaheim's and others, well, Arizona's and central, beat up on the Anaheim's and San Jose's of the world as they, uh, and Seattle um, as, uh, as they're in their divisional play.
2: Can't wait for the season to kick in. Greg, thank you so much, man. It's great to talk with you. hope you enjoyed the offseason and looking forward to chatting with you a lot this upcoming year.
0: You got it. Thanks for having me.
2: There you go. Greg Wyshynski is one of the best. Make sure you follow him on Twitter, at Uh Let me paint you guys a picture from what Greg just talked with us about.
3: Oh, gosh.
2: The Blues don't re-sign Ryan O'Reilly. The Blues re-sign Vladimir Tarasenko. The Blues give the captaincy to Robert Thomas. How the heck do you think that's going to go over here in St. Louis?
3: Well, he did say Colton Pareco possibly getting the C. So I could
2: see that but like I feel like Robert Thomas would be the next captain.
3: Well, 100% because remember last year he was, you know, one of one of the other options that they had and he did a pretty good job with it too. Absolutely. He has you can tell he has like natural leadership abilities. Um I was definitely oh. most shocked by I think the Vladimir Tarasenko. Here's the thing with Ryan O'Reilly. I, as soon as I saw that they did that Cairo extension, that was my first thought: is what are they going to do about Ryan O'Reilly? Will they even have enough money to do anything? Because he'll be is he's he's 31 now. He'll yeah. be 32. So I would expect he has plenty of good years ahead of him. Mm-hmm. So he would want a longer term contract, and I don't know if the Blues can provide that to him.
2: Believe it or not. Vladimir Tarasenko is going to be locked up for five more years. We'll do that and more scenarios with Believe It or Not coming up next. So send us your scenarios at 65780. She's Brooke Grimsley, Alex Ferrario, Tanner Hendrickson here on 101 ESPN.
1: We're right back
2: to the BK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire
1: and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Look at what's happening. Myself. Suddenly
5: I'm up on top of the world. I don't
2: know if you're prepared for this, Brooke. Oh, here we go. Training camp
5: starts. Sing it loud and proud. Believe, Believe it or not, I'm walking, walking on air. air. I never thought I could feel so free. free. Oh, dude, you ruined it. Whoa, whoa. It's,
3: it's not your fault. It's, is it delayed?
5: It's a little delayed on okay. your end, okay. so you're a, little, you're a split second behind.
3: I, I will say, T Bone, you actually like stayed on pitch. Oh, T-Bone's-
5: thank you. I got the song down. I've been singing it for almost a year now. He's been. He's <laughs> it's been my busting. go-to. It's my go-to karaoke song. I he's, was gonna say, yeah, you this could,
3: has to be your karaoke. song. He's been
2: busting out speakers for the last year, singing that song here on BK and Ferrario. Brooke Grimsley sitting in for BK. I'm Alex Ferrario. Tanner Hendrickson here as well. As we are out here at training camp at the Centine Community Ice Center in our beautiful E&B Granite Studios, and it is time for believe it or not. You can send over your scenarios to us on the Air Comfort Service text line at 65780 and we will tell you if we believe it or not. Let's start with this one from the 618 boys and girl. Believe it or not, the 2023 offseason for the Blues will be make or break for extending the Stanley Cup window beyond this season. So next, so this coming offseason when O'Reilly and Tarasenko and Barbashev our free agents, will make or break the Blues keeping that Stanley Cup window open. I'll say I believe this one. If you lose O'Reilly, Barbashev, Tarasenko, and don't replace one of those with a high-end forward, I think the window could be not closing, but dwindling. Because you got Thomas and Kairou, You've got Bucinavich. I think that's a really good three to have. You still got a very good defense, but you'll have no secondary scoring. Like your second line would be Shen Sod and Who. So I, I think you have to have a I think you have to have a very aggressive offseason, whether it's O'Reilly I don't think it's Tarasenko, or maybe it's somebody that's a free agent or make another trade like you did for Pavel Buchnevich.
3: You're not going to go with Greg where you re- you keep Tarasenko and get rid of O'Reilly?
2: Me personally? No, I would not. Hmm. I don't think so.
3: I, I don't know. I mean, I think that... With the signaling of what they did with Robert Thomas and Jordan Cairo is that they're really, you know, kind of putting into believing into their future and stuff? Is that window closing a little bit, possibly? But I, I don't know if I don't know. I'm not completely sold on that. I don't think. All right,
5: yeah. just not believing it. I was say I'm no. not going to believe it either. I, I'm not sure necessarily. Closes the window completely will it no. shut it somewhat yes if you have a bad offseason but you can say that about every offseason i i think the blues are in this middle of this transition of the next phase of the window and it starts with Kairo and thomas and then yes. you hope to piece it together with guys with neighbors and bolduk being kind of those secondary pieces to it plus the guys that are signed to the long-term contracts like brandon sod Braden chen hope they can help piece it together so is it make or break no, I don't think so. It's definitely a crucial offseason, but I think you can say that about just every offseason when you're in a win-now uh, window like the St. Louis Blues are
3: in. Well, the league's getting faster and younger, too. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So you, you see that Armstrong is trending towards that as well.
2: Uh, believe it or not, from the 3 the Cardinals will be a dark horse contender to sign Aaron Judge. What do you think, Brooke?
3: No. No? I'm not going to believe it. I mean, it would be nice, right? But, but I you think- just know the Cardinals. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you just know and the Cardinals. As we've seen, I think what, what we'll see happen is there's conversations, and those conversations <laughs> might go for a while, but the signing's not happening. You
2: guys got to know, Brooke was doing the air quotes, the conversations, because we all know what those conversations are. We were there. Oh, hey, Aaron, want to be a uh, Cardinal? Yeah, sure, for $300 million. All right, thanks.
5: Yeah, I, I'm with Brooke. Yeah. <laughs> I- I don't believe this. I, I think there's like less than a 1% chance that he ends up being a Cardinal in the offseason. He's just going to get an incredible deal. He's going to sign with one of those big market teams. I think the Yankees are probably there. The Red Sox, they might try to get involved. Some of the teams out west, like the, the Angels are dumb enough to go do another big contract <laughs> like that, so they might do it. The Dodgers they will are. show interest. The Giants will probably show interest. I can't see the Cardinals doing it. I do think they potentially look to add another outfielder in the offseason, but you don't want to add someone on a big contract like that because... You've got Jordan Walker that's going to be there. They still believe in Dylan Carlson. And I think the outfielder that they bring in is on like a one- or two-year deal that can kind of come in, fill in a role. He's either a fourth outfielder or you end up moving O'Neill in the offseason. But I, I can't see a scenario in which they sign Aaron Judge, so I'm yeah, not believing it.
2: I'm the same way. I think right now their hope is finding a center fielder. Who can be offensive and defensive for the team. So Carlson can go back to a corner outfield spot and Walker can be the other one. I don't think they. I don't think Walker will be your center fielder at least within the next couple of years. So I am not going to believe this one. From the 3-1-4, believe it or not, because of Gorman's 40% strikeout rate, and this is just mean, I'm not going to read that, we will be stuck with having to put Paul DeYoung on a postseason roster. So because Gorman is not Seeing the ball, hitting the ball, Paul DeYoung will be on the postseason roster. Did you guys hear Al Rabowski's comments post game last night on, on Valley Sports
3: about DeYoung? Yeah,
2: he said that he doesn't believe Paul DeYoung will be on the postseason roster.
3: I don't think that he exactly deserves it at this moment, so I agree with that. I think what, what's interesting to that to that texter's point is that Nolan Gorman was sent down for a similar percentage strikeout rate as DeYoung Paul, as is doing Paul DeYoung. right now. Yikes! <laughs> so uh, it might be the same player. Yeah. <gasps> dun, dun, dun. Can
2: you believe that, Tanner? Oh, boy.
5: Uh, no, I don't believe that um, because, A, I think Gorman will end up being better. I think he's just got to figure something out. Rookie yeah. going through some struggles. But I'm not going to believe it. I, I, Paul DeYoung is going to have a spot on this postseason roster. And I know a lot of Cardinals fans are going to say that. Look at the 150 average. But he he brings something to the team. And I know people don't want hear that, to hear that. And, look, I'm with you. The offense isn't pretty, but he brings solid defense for you at shortstop. It allows you to potentially mix and match with some pinch-hitting opportunities. And what can you do? You can bring DeYoung into the game, play him at shortstop. I mean, for... The situation happened last night in the seventh inning, not pinch hitting for him. He played solid defense for the Cardinals last night. He made a hell of a play where he backhanded and Absolutely. threw a guy out at home. So he has value in terms of on the defensive side of the ball. That's where they're going to utilize him. He's going to be late defensive inning guy that can come in after you pinch hit for somebody. So he's going to make the roster. I, I can't see a scenario in which he doesn't. Gorman's the guy that may not end up making the postseason roster because he's in AAA working on stuff, and you don't want to potentially bring him back up here into a playoff spot, high leverage situations. Just have him work on AAA. He his year might be shut down after the season comes to a conclusion.
2: Yeah, I'm not going to believe this one either. I mean, you don't you don't have any other options. Like Paul DeYoung, I'm with Brooke. I, I don't know if he deserves it, but defensively, at least he is an asset for you. Uh, you just don't have any other options. It's not like Edmundo Sosa is still on the team, and he's sitting there, and you're like, oh, we can use him at shortstop. I mean, the only shortstop you have other than Paul DeYoung right now is Tommy Edmond because Brendan Donovan's fine there, but, I mean, it's not – it's not what you want in the playoffs. So, yeah, I'm not going to believe this one.
3: Well, and to your point, too, defensively, there was times, too, before Gorham was sit down where he struggled defensively yeah. as well. I know that there was, you know, that one good play. What was that, this past weekend before he was sent down? Oh, yeah. Uh, but other than that, there was times that he really struggled. You definitely would rather have Paul DeYoung especially out, especially turning
2: those double plays, man. For how much this team looks to induce ground ball, though the the double play. Um, final one here from the three one four. Believe it or not, T Bone meets his eligible bachelorette karaokeing because T Bone has pipes. Believe I it. believe it. Yep,
5: believe that. Definitely. You know, people, Do
2: people still go karaoke?
3: They do.
5: Do they? yeah. Yeah, there's a karaoke night. There's a uh, place that's by my apartment complex, and they do a karaoke okay. night. I don't know if it's every Wednesday right. or Thursday.
2: So I'm believing this one because T Bone's already going karaokeing every Wednesday night to find that eligible yeah, bachelor. I'm not watching
5: Thursday night football. Are you kidding me? It's karaoke <laughs> night. Karaoke
2: for T Bone with Brooke Grimsley and the karaoke legend Tanner Hendrickson on the Alex Ferrario. Coming up in 15 minutes, we'll hit the BK and Ferrario rewind. But coming up next, are we going to see a complete year from Colton Pareko? I know a ton of people don't believe it. But I actually am. Surprise, surprise. But I think there's a key element as to why. We'll hit that next here on 101 ESPN.
1: We're right back to the BK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN.
0: You know, he did have different you know partners out there really except for the 2021 season where he was banged up this guy has been a sturdy steady workhorse for the team and he played at 23 and a half minutes last year so i i'm, I'm excited that if those pairings do work out that way and you've got
1: that veteran group and he settles in there i, I would expect fantastic things and the only reason i say
0: that is because he's delivered nothing but fantastic things there's concerns or question marks in my mind with guys on a team that guy is not one of them, without a doubt.
2: That's the voice of the Blues, Chris Kerber, who joined us yesterday on BK and Ferrario talking Colton Pareko. And, uh, well, Colton Pareco is going to be another one of those players this season that I think a lot is going to be riding on, like Jordan Bennington. Now, he's not the end-all be-all because the Blues have invested heavily in their defense with Nick Letty getting a contract extension and Krug and Falk and Pareco all under contract. But you always look back to Colton Pareco Brooke, because... He was the alpha dog when the Blues walked away from Alex Petrangelo, when he walked away from the Blues. They said, at Colton Pareko, we believe, can be the alpha dog for our team. And last season, I know a lot of people looked at Colton Pareko and they said, oh, it's not a good season because, you know, he's not playing like the Norris Trophy defenseman that a lot of people hoped he would be. The matter of the fact is he's not going to ever be that guy. He's never going to be a Kale McCarr or a Roman Yosi or a Quinn Hughes. But he is always going to be a guy who gives you 23-plus minutes a night. He's going to be a guy that's always playing against the other team's top lines. And as Kerbs mentioned in that interview, he is a guy that if you were to ask players that play against him, they'll say he is one of the toughest guys to play against for how big he is, how strong he is, how fast he is, and how long of a reach he truly has. But if last season wasn't good, I think this season can be better for Colton Pareko because he finally has a pairing mate that he knows who it's going to be every single night since Jay Bowmeister left the blues. It's been inconsistent. He's been playing with a ton of different guys. It was Vince Dunn for a while. It was Jake Wallman and it was Nico Mikula. It's never been the same guy last season with Colton Pareko prior to the trade of Nick Letty. He had six goals, 18 assists, 24 points and a plus two. Now I know a lot of people don't like the plus minus ratio but when you've got 24 points and you're a plus two, you're getting scored on a lot. After the Nick Letty trade, he had zero goals, 11 assists, and, f- and he was a plus 14. To me, I think Colton Pareko can be a top defenseman again if you give him a consistent pairing mate.
3: Well, yeah, and Nick Letty has been, I feel like, a huge difference maker for the Blues defense in general. But to your point where you brought up J. Bo Meester, those two were great together. And then on top of that, Colton Pareko was dealing with injuries. He was dealing with back issues. So that limited his ice time even more, too, for a while. That hampered him as well. So I think the biggest thing that I'm wanting to see is this going to be a fully healthy Colton Pareco going into the season because if that is the case, then... 100% even the pressure is even more on him to do better and it seemed like too whenever he is forced to be more of an offensive minded defenseman is when we see lags in those game in those games in his performance um, it seems like that pair with Nick Letty kind of alleviates that so now he's had time to adjust to the more ice time that they're asking from him he should be healthier so of course, there is going to be a lot more pressure on him this season. As long as he stays healthy, I feel like this should be a good season for him in general because he knows. He's fully aware of the pressure that's on him.
2: Yeah, and I I understand people's gripes with Colton Pareko because...
3: He's big, and he's, they want him to be a little... If he was just like a tad bit like Chris Pronger, which it's not fair to compare Colton Pareko and Chris Pronger, I think, size-wise, yes. Other than that, Chris Pronger had more of that edge. Cole Pareko will never be Chris Pronger. Right, Chris Pronger has even said that. But I think if people had, if he had maybe just like a hint of that meanness, it would be helpful. And I think they've tried to bring that out of Cole Pareko. It's just not in his personality or character.
2: Exactly. And that's just it. He's never going to be Chris Pronger on the ice. And you just have to move away from that. And what people also, what frustrates me is a lot of the top defensemen in the NHL, these were guys that were drafted super high. Like Roman Yossi is the exception because I think Roman Yossi, he was selected in like the fifth round or something like that. So, like, he's one of those guys that you, you find a gem. It was the second round, 38th overall. But that's what Colton Pareco was Colton Pareco was not a highly touted prospect. He was drafted 86th overall in the third round. But because he's huge and he's kind of a unicorn in the sense that he is fast. He's a top defenseman. Like it or not, people don't want to compare it and say, well, he's not a top defenseman in the NHL. He's the number one defenseman on this Blues team. He and Justin Falk are the top dogs on this Blues defense. The problem has always been Colton Pareco just has not had a consistent playing partner, and I think yeah. that really affects players sometimes because Pareko talked about it in 2019 when he and Jay Bomeister were so good. He said, like, it's good to know that on the back end, I know what he's thinking and where he's going to be. And if you're playing with the wrong guy or if you're playing with a guy that you don't have a lot of chemistry with, you're expecting him to – cut. the the, the defensemen are cutting that ice in half. They're watching one side of the rink, the other side of the rink. If you're expecting the guy on the left side with you to be covering that, but yet he's going to chase a puck, which is out of the realm of what he usually does, and then Colton Pareko has to dive over there, well, then you're in a tough spot. Nick Letty is one of the best defensemen, at least for a lot of people that we've talked to, that have said he moves the puck well out of his own zone. If you know you're putting that with Colton Pareko, I think that makes Colton Pareko a better player because he knows what he's getting on a nightly basis.
3: You play tennis, right?
2: No, Tanner does. Tanner's the tennis star. So
3: Tanner knows, especially when you're playing doubles, kind of that sense of splitting it down the court. It really does. It does mess you up as a tennis player if you play doubles, where it's just like... I. All of a sudden, you're thinking about, wait, I have to think about my side of the court mm-hmm. and think about what's going on there. So it completely distracts you. It throws you off your game. Right. You know, so I, I can totally see that. And for Colton Pareko, too, I think that I'm sure that he has a little bit of a chip and an edge coming into the season, wanting to prove that as well, that he can be one of those top guys again, because with Jay Bo Meester, it was also nice to have that veteran presence to kind of help him alongside that. Now people are looking at Colton Pareko to be that veteran presence.
2: Absolutely. And I think that's where it's really going to come down to. He's going to be one of those guys that steps up every single time. I do think the Blues have a solid back end coming into the season, but it is going to come down to Colton Pareko uh, playing up to the level that his expectations provide him and staying consistent. But if he can, and like you said, Brooke, if he stays healthy, I think you're putting yourself in a really good position moving forward for this Blues team.
3: Well, and also that will determine, too, how well that works out is going to depend on how well Jordan Binnington does as well, too.
2: Yeah. Oh, Oh. absolutely. Yeah, your goaltender's only as good as the guys playing in front of you. We Remember last season when Parade, uh, Binnington struggled so much, I would always come on the air, Tanner, the next day, and we would argue because you, you guys would be like, what a – Bad game from Bennington. And I'm like, guys, Bennington can't play a good game if he is scrambling for the puck when the entire team doesn't know what they're doing in front of him. left
3: out to dry a couple of times.
2: And you know this season, whether it's Krug and Pareko and Letty and Falk or Letty and Pareko and Krug and Falk, you you know that that's the top four for you every single game, and I think that is a benefit for this Blues team coming into this upcoming season. Brooke Grimsley, I'm Alex Ferrario. He's Tanner Hendrickson. We will take our final break and come back with our BK and Ferrario Rewind before we get you into the fast lane next year on 101 ESPN.
1: We're right back to the BK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN.
2: Things up here on our BK and Ferrario live from Blues Training Camp at the Centine Community Ice Center in our E and B granite studios. Brooke Grimsley in for Brandon Kylie. She'll be back with us tomorrow. Tanner Hendrickson. I'm Alex Ferrario. Before we get out of here, guys, and hand things off to the fast lane, I did want to mention tonight Jack Flaherty on the mound, and we just saw with Miles Michaelis last night to solidify a spot in the rotation. I don't know if Jack Flaherty's in that same light with this one tonight. I don't know if Jack Flaherty can solidify a spot in the rotation despite Wayno's struggles. I think Jack Flaherty right now has a really large uphill climb to try and get back into the conversation of the top three in the playoff rotation. I think what he's fighting for now is with Jose Quintana and the fourth spot in the rotation if you get to an NLDS but more than anything, you're just looking to Jack Flaherty go out there and compete because you need your offense to get going.
3: Yeah, exactly. I mean, here's the thing is if he would have been able to return a little bit sooner, which it seems like they really wanted to make sure that this time he went through the rehab assignments kind of slowly to make sure everything was right. So we didn't experience that dead arm issue again when he returned just very briefly, because I think the biggest thing is keeping Jack Flaherty healthy. Right, so yeah. we don't continue to move <laughs> to to move forward with him constantly injured. I uh, I think the biggest thing for me that I just kind of hope to see is one obviously offensively the Cardinals do something tonight with Jack Flaherty. I just want to see if he can go a little bit deeper into the game because he's been at what just about five about innings. Five, yeah, yeah. usually it would be nice just to see if he could go a little bit deeper. Am I thinking that he's going to get a spot in the rotation because of that? No. When I'm talking about postseason, I don't think so. I think it would just be nice to see if he can stretch that out a little bit more. T-Bone?
5: Yeah, I'm with Brook there. I would like to see him get a little bit deeper if he can today because his three starts off the I.O. It has been five innings in each of them. And I, and I think I'm with you guys. I, I'm not sure he can crack the wild card rotation anymore. I think that was locked up with Michael's excellent start last night. But I do think he is competing with Quintana for that fourth spot. And right now I think Quintana's got the edge over him. So he's got a big mountain to climb in terms of getting back into the playoff rotation picture. And honestly, if he's not in the playoff picture uh, playoff picture rotation. Try that
2: five times fast. No
5: kidding. Then I'm not sure he's on the playoff roster if I'm being honest. Maybe you use him as a weapon out of the bullpen. I don't know if they want to do that because of the Uh, rush that he's had to come back from the IL don't know if you want him to go from starter back into the bullpen role but I I will say the other thing I'm looking forward to Jack's start today I thought in his last start he looked really good against Cincinnati I thought he was cruising looked good and then when things kind of went awry and he had to go into the stretch that's when he kind of lost that command of that fastball again so that's the other thing I'm going to keep an eye on what's he look like when runners are on base when he's coming out of the stretch because when he was out of the windup I thought he looked really good when he's in the stretch that'll be the interesting part today to see what he looks like
2: well, this uh, this lineup is, for lack of a better word, interesting. We're gonna
5: word, score. A run today. We're gonna uh, score. I know we did
2: it. we did not do the lineup game, despite what everyone was hoping for us to steal it from the fast lane. No, I know better than that. So uh, the fast lane is going to have the lineup game for you and so much more from two to six o'clock. Brooke Grimsley and I will be back tomorrow with Tanner from eleven to two for day two of Blues training camp. And if you missed anything from the podcast today, including Greg Wachinski, who kind of dropped a uh, a Blues off-season free agent bomb on us, or Noel Chari talking about his uh, time now with the Blues, you can check it out on the podcast page, 101ESPN.com, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. For Brooke, for T-Bone, I'm Alex. Have a great rest of the day. Enjoy the fast lane, and we'll talk to you tomorrow here on BK and Ferrario.